Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of All End, now featuring Crossplay. My name is Halo, the Master Seth Collection. And I'm Eric, the Ghost of Sparta. That's right, this episode of All In is fully compatible with both PlayStation and Xbox, but we still have plenty of Nintendo stories to talk about in the news roundup. And speaking of big stories, PlayStation had a massive showcase a couple days ago featuring their upcoming titles and all that excitement got us wondering what Sony franchises would thrive on the Switch. We'll count down our picks in this week's top five. And in the spirit of console unity and cooperation, this week in the Indie Showcase, we're featuring a true co-op classic that's also become available across all consoles. This episode, we are talking the behemoth essential, Castle Crashers Remastered. And to close out the show, we have the great Sean Capri, host of the Xbox Drive, joining us to discuss the lessons Nintendo and Xbox could potentially learn from each other so that both of them can soar to new heights. Ugh, I can't wait. Well, we've got a basement full of new rollback netcode servers ready to get this crossplay started. It's time to go uh, all... Well, Eric, stop. Hang on. You actually bought a room full of servers? Well, was I not supposed to? Is that crossplay? Uh, dude, dude crossplay is just the theme of the episode. We're not actually facilitating any like online multiplayer for the show. How, how much did you spend on these? Uh, I think it was just the show's budget for the next two years. Uh, I, I can't remember. Let me see if I still have the receipt. Well, I go look for that, folks. It seems like a good time to start the show. It's time to go all in. Right, dude did you find the receipt yeah it, it took me a while so but i was able to tape it back together i got it right here okay well yeah hang, hang on to that please okay <laughs> all right well let's get the show started guys we we've got a great one for you this week here on all in a nintendo podcast the weekly nintendo variety show where each and every saturday no shell is left unturned and no point is left unearned we are thrilled as always to be here with you today but before we get into everything we do just want to stop and talk for a second and just talk about today um today of course when this episode goes live is september 11th And that obviously, especially for us here in America, is a very uh, big day. And especially this year is the 20th anniversary of obviously the horrific terrorist attacks uh, that happened on September 11th. And we just kind of wanted to stop and acknowledge that we're going to have a lot of fun today. And we're going to talk about uh, a theme of unity and cooperation to sort of take this somber day and give us something to be positive about on on what would uh, otherwise be a really sad day. Yeah, this isn't something that we're going to dwell on, but it's obviously something that needs to be recognized. The words never forget mean something. Mm-hmm. And especially as somebody who spent the better part of a decade in the military as part of the conflict that was ongoing for the past two decades, obviously this means a lot to me personally. And I have a lot of friends who were directly impacted and a few who were even in New York on that day. Me too. So uh, again, this is just something we wanted to stop and acknowledge And just moving forward, we just hope that our nation can continue to come together in unity. 
Yep. And again, that's that's such a huge reason why we wanted to talk about some of that stuff uh, this week on the show. We've got, again, just a great show lined up covering all facets of unity and cooperation and togetherness, both in um, in solidarity for the day, September 11th, but also, you know, in the world of Nintendo, we have the new release of WarioWare Get It Together. So just togetherness was really on our mind this week, and we did kind of structure the entire show around that. So let's let's go ahead and get into it, man. What's been going on with you this week? Uh, well, after last week's episode, I mentioned that I was almost done with Pick 2 And that night, as a matter of fact, I just said, forget it. And I actually finished the remainder of the puzzles that I had left in Pick 2 So I am done. Clear. I have finished that entire game. Took me just over two months to do it. But I have finished all 300 uh nanograms all 300 pick cross puzzles in a twoies pick twoie so nice. finally you know now now i'm actively waiting on on new puzzles from from jules so <laughs> <laughs> we've already harassed him about that we might have to hey jules come on now now eric's done we we yeah. just now we both are waiting for new puzzles. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem is uh, you only get stamps for the new day when you yeah. complete a new puzzle. You don't get stamps for completing old puzzles, so I I can't get stamps anymore. I'm like, no, I've, oh. I've missed days. <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you're into puzzle games or pick cross at all, definitely check out Pick Tui from a Tui. But this is something that I've talked about that I've needed some kind of brain training switch game for a while now we talked about big brain academy last week and i would still love to finally get brain age on the nintendo switch so i really do like games like this and i have a deep appreciation for games like this because i'm kind of insane and kind of out of my mind anyway so i really like experiences (laughs) like this to kind of help recenter me Mm. so so thank you atui for for releasing that but in addition to that a few of the usual suspects continuing to play some Animal Crossing. Uh, I will tell you something I did do. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Castle Crashers Remastered a little bit later on in the show. But this past week was the first time I'd actually played it on the Nintendo Switch. I yeah. practically 100%ed it years ago on the Xbox 360. Uh, way, way back in the day when it first came out, but I had never actually played it for the Switch. So I did that this past week, gearing up for our indie showcase. And, oh, man, uh, like I'm a big nostalgic guy anyway, but, man, like that took me back to like my old college days and stuff. Right. Oh, oh, man. So now I'm kind of addicted again to Castle Crashers like I was. <laughs> So just trying to unlock everything, all the characters and weapons and all that stuff. But we'll talk about the game much, much later. But yeah, it's 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 certainly been a trip down memory lane to Big to get time. to re-complete that and replay that after so many years. Uh, also, uh, watch the newest episode of What If. That's really cool. They finally introduced Marvel Zombies. This is something that uh, I know a lot of people have been waiting for, especially ever since that that little tease. If you haven't seen Spider-Man Far From Home, I won't really spoil it for you, but there's a little bit of a Marvel Zombies tease in Spider-Man Far From mm-hmm. Home. Uh, but they did finally, like, officially bring Marvel Zombies in some, you know, tertiary way into the MCU. And it was fantastic. It seemed it seemed like everybody wanted to be part of this because the cast they got for this episode was insane. They got Evangeline Lilly, Sebastian Stan, Chadwick Boseman actually has lines 
wow. uh, in this one as well. They got John Favreau to reprise Happy Hogan, Evangeline Lilly as the Wasp. Uh, it just so uh, Paul Rudd uh, shows up as Ant Man. Like they got an insane cast. It might be the most stacked cast for an animated product of all time. Wow. Genuinely, like it's crazy the people they got to voice this. You know, sing- it's not even a feature length movie. It's just one episode of this TV show and the cast is just absolutely nuts for it. It really just seemed like, like whenever you guys do the Marvel zombies episode, I want to be, I want to be part of it. I want in. <laughs> That's what it felt like. But uh, yeah, that was fantastic. That was absolutely great. Um, I have not yet been able to see Shang-Chi, but I'm hoping that I can do that. I know you did. Yeah. So I'm a little jealous of you, but <laughs> I can't, I can't really be jealous because I've actually started to play WarioWare Get It Together. Have you, Seth? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'll be playing it a lot this weekend, but no, I have not had a chance to play it yet. Uh, however, yeah, of course, WarioWare Get It Together is out now, and we uh, strongly encourage everybody to go buy it. I uh, did an episode of Keep Nintendo Weird, actually, with my wife this past week. That went live. Uh, if you guys haven't checked that out yet, I highly recommend you do. I'm really proud of that episode, and uh, it was really special to get to do that episode with my wife. And we, um, WarioWare is a series that her and I have shared together uh, quite a bit over the course of our relationship. So that was a really fun episode to do, and we're going to be playing that game a lot together this weekend. And um, I, I really, and I say this in the episode, but I'll repeat it here because I really do feel like Get It Together is the last chance for WarioWare. And so I really do encourage people to play that demo. And if you like the demo, go out and buy it. Because WarioWare, I, I, I like the series has never sold super well. Um, I think the highest selling game in the series is Smooth Moves, which did like less than 2.5 million on the Wii, you know? Yeah. So... I mean, it, it's it's a series that they, they kind of felt like they were doing the last hurrah with WarioWare Gold, which was kind of a compilation game on 3DS. But now it's like, okay, let's give it one last chance on Switch. And if it doesn't do well on Switch, it's never going to do well. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's the vibe I get from it. And I just want to encourage everybody, if you like what you play in that demo, just please go out and support it and pick up WarioWare Get It Together. So that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> um, so we have, we have that episode of keep Nintendo weird on the YouTube channel and on podcast feeds. Um, there's also a bunch of stuff. I've been kind of just working a lot on content for the show and for the YouTube channel. Actually, I've got two videos coming out on the YouTube channel next week that you guys should keep an eye out on. Uh, definitely go over and give us a subscribe over there on YouTube links to that are as always in the episode description, but I've got a spoilers video, kind of a post-mortem talking about the ending of no more heroes three, um, <laughs> hanging out with Jonathan Holmes again, post-mortem because the ending killed you <laughs> yeah, basically. And that was just so much fun to do. Like, uh, Holmes and I linked up kind of thinking we would just say a few words about the ending and wound up talking for like over an hour and, honestly had to cut ourselves off um, because it was just, it was, we just had such a blast (laughs) tearing that game apart and, um, and talking about all the implications. And so if you, if you've played no more heroes three and you just wanted to talk about it, like I did, that video is going to be perfect for you. Or if you're somebody who doesn't care about spoilers and you just want to hear about how insane the ending is, then I think you'll have a lot of fun 
with that video. That'll be coming out next week. Um, I'm also doing a video this um, or next week that's going to come out about this game called, uh, I think it's called Misc or Miscellaneous, A Tiny Tale. It's this kind of chibi robo-esque indie game that's yeah. coming out. Um, it looks really interesting. It really does. And it's um, it's coming out on Switch also um, uh, next year in 2022, but there is a Steam demo. So I'm going to do a video for that, and that'll uh, hit the YouTube channel next week as well. So look out for that. And um, speaking of YouTube, I did want to shout out Pokemon Evolutions, uh, which we talked about a little bit last week on the show. Um, that first episode, The Champion, released on the YouTube channel. And I've got to admit, I'm a little disappointed by it. Um, It's only like seven minutes long. First of all, I, I, which surprised me because I was really kind of thinking like the concept of the show being like, Hey, it's going to be an eight episode, like mini series. And it's going to be like this really high quality animation. And each episode is going to be kind of a vignette of each of the regions of the Pokemon games and in all the generations. That's a great idea, but just doing like a little seven minute short, it really felt like, I mean, literally when the title card comes up at the end, I was like feeling like it was just getting started and then it ended, you know? So it's, it's really good and high quality, but it's super left me wanting more. And I don't know, came away from it feeling a little cold. Yeah, I felt the exact same way about the Sonic Rise of the Wisps thing. Mm-hmm. They announced that at the Sonic 30th Anniversary Direct uh, a while back. And, you know, I wasn't expecting it to be a full-on new show or anything, like this Sonic Prime that's coming out or whatever it's called. But I didn't think it was just going to be two installments of five minutes apiece. Right. Like, even combined, the entire new Sonic Rise of the Wisps animation was like 11 minutes. It was half the length of a standard 30-minute show after advertisements. Exactly. So, I, like, I'm gl- I'm still glad they did it. It was fun and it was cute. I think it honestly should be an extra in Sonic Colors Ultimate. I don't know if it is, but it should be. But uh, it was like, hey, we're doing this too. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. And then it comes out and it's like 11 minutes long. I'm like, oh, uh, okay, well... Uh, it was cool. Good job. I guess that's it. Are we, are we sure that's it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's, that's very much my feeling about Pokemon evolutions. It's like, well, this was cool and really good. And this first episode, of course, taking place in the Galar region, um, you, you get a really good look at like Leon and his relationship. It actually does a good job of like showing the humanity, I guess, of Leon, like the more vulnerable side of him, like the kind of, um, the side that you don't really get to see much in the game. Uh, cause in the game, he's very much like, he's the older brother, he's the champion, he's stoic and, you know, everybody looks up to him and stuff like that. But in, in this, you kind of really see him more as a person. And I really liked that. I just wanted more of it, you know? So yep, it's a shame, but it was still good. I, I recommend checking it out just with the knowledge. Don't come into it thinking it's this big, you know, 20, 30 minute thing. It's only seven minutes. Um, but still worth watching. Looking forward to seeing the next episode. But um, yeah, we have got, uh, it's been a little bit of a quiet news week, but we did have a few interesting things bubble to the surface that we need to stop and talk about. So what do you say we get into the news? Yeah, there's a couple things I don't want to talk about, but we kind of have to. So let's talk about it. Hey, listen. So 
not long after the last episode of All End went live, where we told everybody, and we, you know, we we love Phil Summers and hand drawn game guides, and uh, we've had him on the show, of course, and we've been talking about his Kickstarter, and literally right after the last episode went live, and just before the end of the campaign, uh, the campaign was supposed to finish up. Unfortunately, the Kickstarter was canceled. And the story has been kind of developing over the course of the past week. And um, it's it's taken a bit of a sad turn. But I, I did want to stop and talk about this just so that we can put everything out on the table and not misrepresent the story. Because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of that going on. A lot of people are saying like, hey, like Nintendo forced Phil to, to take down the books or whatever. And there's a lot of little details in here that, that I think we should get into. but. Um, the the ultimate result of it is something that we learned just yesterday. Yeah, ultimately, Phil took down the Kickstarter again just a couple hours after our episode went live, and there's been a few updates throughout the course of the week, and Phil has been squashing any type of misinformation that's been coming out. But yesterday, he specifically tweeted out, quote, well, there is no easy way to say this, but hand-drawn game guides, as we currently know it, is done. The good news is that there are many exciting opportunities opening up. It ain't about how hard you can hit, but about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Thanks all. End quote. I do dig the Rocky quote there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. Definitely. I mean, and and again, we just want to make it completely clear that Phil has not and will not name any names in this situation. He has never come out and said, hey, the Nintendo Ninjas struck it down or whatever. And, you know, he's never pointed fingers at any company or, you know, badmouthed anybody. And we don't want to do that either. Um, but we, we did just want to, like, kind of touch base with you guys and let you know that, hey, this is what's going on with hand-drawn game guides. The future seems murky, but but I, I just wanted to lay that out there and also to tip our hats to Phil. Obviously, we love Phil. We've had him on the show twice, and, and he's a, a friend of the show, and we love hand-drawn game guides. Um, but I also just wanted to kind of like tip my hat to the way he has handled the situation and the decorum and the attitude that he's had throughout all of this, I think really should be acknowledged and celebrated. And whatever Phil does next, we are definitely uh, there for him. Uh, and, and his hard work is not lost on us. Yeah, we reached out to him and said, you know, uh, we're, we're really excited for these potential opportunities because, you know, obviously the big takeaway was hand-drawn game guides as we currently know it is done. But mm-hmm. he does say in that same tweet, I know it's probably going to get lost on a lot of people, but he does say in that same tweet, the good news is that there are many exciting opportunities opening up. So we are personally excited to see what that means for Phil and his future. Absolutely. We wish Phil uh, and, and, you know, everybody who was part of that Kickstarter, including Dream Prism Press, I think a lot of people are losing sight of that, too. You know, they're they're obviously hurt in this process, too. Um, we, we just wanted to wish Phil and everybody involved nothing but the best. And uh, we will certainly be there ready to support whatever Phil does in the future. Absolutely. Now, moving forward. Uh, Again, just yesterday, we finally got a ruling in that massive Apple versus Epic lawsuit. We mentioned it a while back because of some of the interesting Nintendo ramifications that the case initially had in regards to leaks and in regards to information that was coming out that was potentially spoilery 
for some stuff that Nintendo was working on, uh, specifically in regards to Fortnite. Yeah. But uh, we just wanted to just come full circle and let you guys know that the ruling in that case has come out. Uh, there's no particular, it doesn't look like there's going to be any particular Nintendo fallout. Thankfully, it doesn't look Thankfully, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any bad news in this regard when it comes to the Nintendo community. Yeah. But uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Even though Epic, uh, according to the court, failed to prove that Apple had a monopoly, they are still now going to force Apple to provide to their, they're still not going to force Apple to give the companies that put software and games up on their store ways to link to external payment sources. So Apple's about to start losing a lot of their cut of this stuff. So again, not a big Nintendo thing, but we did say we would update you on that as new information came out about the lawsuit. Thankfully, again, not much Nintendo fallout, but in the mobile universe, looks like the looks like things could get very interesting. Yep. They did also determine that the character of Peely is just a banana man to quote. Uh, to to quote Epic's VP of Marketing, <laughs> just a banana man. Nothing to see. I here. love it. <laughs> I love it. the The case has been so interesting and fun to follow, not just from the perspective of like Nintendo leaks and stuff like this and Nintendo ramifications, but just some of the ridiculous verbiage and things that have come out from like these old men in suits trying to like learn themselves about video games. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. been kind of fun, but. Yeah. yeah, what was it that uh, that court ruling that came out a while ago saying that uh, uh, the court ruled this publisher to destroy all copies of their digital only game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's kind of like when your parents come into the room and you're playing an online game and they're like, "Pause it," you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, like, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. But uh, hello so, there, yeah. fellow kids. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, kind of a closed chapter, you know, close the book on the Apple V Epic thing for now, at least. But uh, it, it was definitely worth kind of coming for full circle with that. Um, and kind of speaking of full circle, our friends at Zeldathon, the charity marathon event, of course, we've had the executive director of that program, Super MC yep. Gamer on the show. Yep. Um, they revealed this past week that after a year off of the main Zelda marathon event, they took a year off and they started doing these side quest events and a lot of other kind of spinoff charity marathons. They are now, as of this year on December 27th, returning to the traditional Zelda marathon format this year for Zeldathon Ascent and uh, had a really cool, kind of weirdly emotional trailer um, for Zeldathon Ascent take uh, social media yeah, earlier was. this week. Yeah, yeah kind of was. They had this big, uh, like, windfish-style egg mm-hmm. that they hatched over the course of a couple weeks. For for those of you who are old WWF fans, it was kind of like the, the gobbledygooker Survivor Series reveal <laughs> when the giant turkey came out of the egg. But this time, it was actually good news. Yeah, it was a loftwing egg, and it hatched and took to the sky, and now Zeldathon Ascent is happening. And we don't know yet. They They did. They were very careful to say, like, hey... You know, we're thinking this is going to be an in-person event, but we don't want to commit to that yet. Um, we we don't know what the state of the world is going to be like, but as we get closer, we'll we'll lock things down and we'll let you know. Um, but while those details are uncertain, what is certain is that both Skyward Sword HD 
and Age of Calamity are now being worked into the marathon's rotation, of course, because now those are the games, those are the Zelda games that have been released since the last proper Zelda-thon. So just really cool, really heartwarming to see that uh, that show come back in its true form. And uh, SideQuest has been great, but I'm, I'm really excited to actually get back to the the main kind of Zeldathon show with Zeldathon Ascent. That's happening again starting December 27th this year, um, benefiting St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. And um, that's going to go on for a week going into the new year. So really excited to kind of end this year on a positive note, whether it be in person or not. Yeah, super excited. And obviously, as that happens, once it does start, we will definitely let you guys know how you can support that. And we will probably throw some more money at another weird (laughs) character hybrid thing. For those those who were uh, around when the last Zelda-thon was going on, Seth wound up uh, throwing some money, uh, donating some money to have... What was it? It It was was Tingle and... Tingle and Pietro from Animal Crossing. So yeah. <laughs> it was this like Tingle Pietro, who is this like clown rainbow ram in Animal Crossing. And it was just a monstrosity. And I, I loved it. Yeah, it was done by the incredibly <laughs> talented Six Lona, but I'm sure mm-hmm. it was physically painful for her to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There was, she probably uh, drew that through a wince, but, um, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to seeing what they do this year. It's going to be a good time. I am too. Well, Seth. Uh-huh. Okay, well, we've maybe established that I'm not the most responsible person when it comes to money and the budget. That's fair enough. But I just want to make sure that you're not thinking about doing anything rash with this <laughs> new Lego stuff that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, so this this was a funny one. Uh, so... Yeah, what what Eric's referring to, the Lego group revealed on Thursday morning, and they were doing this kind of like tease for a few days of this, what was clearly a giant question block. And it became like, what's inside the question block? Is this just going to be like a question block set? That's weird. Well, no, they revealed on Thursday morning that it is a brand new Nintendo themed set based around Super Mario 64. And it's a it's a cool little set. Um, It's got it this... Is. It's all packaged inside of this big seven inch question block and it kind of like folds out on the top to reveal these kind of like four miniature scenes that are based on areas and levels in Super Mario 64. So you've got Peach's Castle, bob on Battlefield, Cool Cool Mountain, and Lethal Lava Trouble. And it's all really cool. I, I like the set. It's cute. It's nostalgic. I will say it comes with a massive price tag. Um, it's, yeah. it's a Lego set, so it's going to be expensive. Um, it's going to retail for one sixty nine ninety nine when it releases on October 1st. And I, I think that a lot of people are a little bit burned by this set because it doesn't include any like new Mario minifigs or anything like that. They're kind of like these weird faceless, almost Lego builders journey. If I really characters, um, and it's cute and everything. I will say, I, I have not seen a lot of people reporting on this, but they, the Lego group did confirm that the set is going to in some way interact with the Lego Mario and Lego Luigi figures that are out. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but they say that those figures will have, quote, secret reactions, end quote, with the set. So that alone kind of makes me want to get it, but that's just so, that's a lot of money. 
Is that question mark block? Has that been confirmed to be actually part of the set itself? Yeah, like the the set itself, like you build the question block and then it like folds out on the top weirdly. You like you like take a piece of the question block and like fold it up like a pop-out book or something. Yeah, but it's interesting. The, the, re- the reason I'm asking is it's a Super Mario 64 themed right. set, right? Right. There's not there I mean, it's been a while since I played it. Yeah, it's been a year since I played Mario 64 on Mario All-Stars, but I don't remember question mark blocks there's, in Mario 64. <laughs> yeah, there's not. It's it's they they have uh blocks in that game, but no traditional Mario question blocks. So I thought yeah. that was weird too. Yeah, they've got the hat blocks, they've got like the normal blocks and they've got you know, coins, but they don't have any question mark blocks in Mario 64. And yet they're making a question mark block, the centerpiece of their Mario 64 set. <laughs> it's okay. Weird. It's okay. weird. They, but look, they, they know, they know exactly what they, they want to do. They want to have that thing. So you can have that question block on your shelf, have somebody come in and be like, Oh, but that's not all it does. Boom. Look at these, you know, these Mario 64 little vignettes that are in there. It's cool. It's cute. You know, I like it. It kind of reminds me of like, this is going to be a really obscure like 90s reference, but it kind of reminds <laughs> me of a big Polly Pocket. You remember Polly oh, Pocket? Well, I remember the the boy version of that, which was the Mighty Max. <laughs> yes, yes. I actually had a lot of those old Mighty Max little flip ups. I, I really liked those. I thought those were really cool. Back That's in what the day. it reminds me of. It kind of reminds me of that. So mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. It's just, it's, it is very expensive, but it's a really cool piece of Nintendo memorabilia. Just another example of, you know, the collaboration between Nintendo and Lego that has been a very fruitful one, uh, evidently. I mean, because we're just continuing to see more and more, uh, even outside of Lego Cross Super Mario, which has been an ongoing thing for over a year now. We're, we're seeing more kind of like just general Nintendo collaboration. So, um, yeah, yeah. They, they continue to have a stranglehold over a lot of our wallets with this stuff. <laughs> Be careful, Seth. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I know. I know. I spend as much money as I did on these surfers. <laughs> we'll try to avoid that. But, uh, another thing we, uh, we wanted to shout out here is the 25th anniversary of Crash Bandicoot. Yes, yet another landmark anniversary for an iconic game franchise. Happy Silver Anniversary, Crash. Yeah, I mean, obviously Crash Bandicoot has long been associated with the PlayStation brand. We're here in the crossplay episode, of course. But, you know, it's worth noting that those games, the Insane Trilogy, Crash Nitro Kart, and Crash yep. 4 It's About Time are now all available on Switch. So... It's it's kind of a big deal for for Switch fans as well now and yeah the 25th anniversary is this year and there was some weird kind of like teases and theories going around online this past week because a lot of streamers and influencers started receiving in the mail these mysterious wumpa fruit piñatas and a lot of people there's a lot of rumors and and stuff going around saying that there's something called Crash Wumpa League or something like that like something Evidently, it's teased in Crash 4, and this might kind of support that idea, but there's no there's no official announcement yet. Toys for Bob did release a sweet kind of short video this past week acknowledging the anniversary, but did not make any formal announcements as of yet. So they're teasing something, but nothing's happened yet. No, all I'm going to say is just happy anniversary, 
crash. Good for you. Excited to see what whatever comes from this pinata tease potential announcement holds excited to see what the future holds for the franchise obviously crash's comeback over the past few years has been incredibly successful with the insane trilogy with crash nitro carton especially with crash 4 it's about time so I, I the the series and the franchise is very much back in the good graces of its fan base i hope mm-hmm. whatever this next chapter is that it just continues to go from strength to strength yep 100 percent but coming into the end of the news roundup, just a couple public service announcements about a couple games that have come out in the past few days that we just want to spotlight. Obviously, we are going to be playing a lot of WarioWare Get It Together over the course of this weekend. That just released yesterday. Buy it. As you are first hearing. Yeah, buy it. As you're first hearing this episode, WarioWare just released yesterday. There were also a couple other notable releases that I think might fly under the radar for some people just because of the you know, the first party Nintendo game that always kind of suffocates everything else around it. Sure. But uh, Lost in Random, that really bizarre, gothic, surreal, almost Psychonauts-esque game from EA, that also released yesterday. And that's a game that I really, really want to check out. So hopefully we get the opportunity to do that. Dice Legacy, that game that we've talked about a couple times over the past couple months that showed up at... The uh, that showed up at Gamescom, that showed up at uh, E3. Dice Legacy came out a couple days ago. We're really interested to check that out. And if you're a basketball fan, and if you only have a Switch, NBA 2K22 released yesterday as well. I am going to say I don't have any hard evidence to support this and have not played the game. But... Given the history of sports simulators on the Nintendo Switch, I might wait for a couple reviews to come out first before I went ahead and spent $100 on the legendary edition of that on Nintendo's Mm. console. That's Mm -hmm. all I'm saying. But if you are a basketball fan and you only have a Nintendo Switch, that did come out. Yep. Yeah, and Life is Strange True Colors came out on other platforms. Um, But as we have touched on on the show, but just to kind of like uh, hit that home again one last time, it did see a delay is still planned for release on Nintendo Switch this year. And we will, of course, be checking that out when it finally comes out. But that came out for other platforms and has been getting absolutely glowing reviews. So we're really looking forward to that whenever it does hit Switch. Yes, almost, you know, kind of glad that it didn't come out this week because we just have so there's just so many games you guys there's just so much to play my word but i mean what are you guys playing are you guys playing warrior red to get it together like us are you playing lost in random did you decide to just say just throw caution to the wind and pick up nba 2k22 or dice legacy let us know reach out to us on facebook at all in podcast reach out to us on twitter at all in podcast and do please join the conversation over on discord we have a ton of fun over there with all of our friends and we'd really like for you to join us And also, while you're doing that, do please like and subscribe to All In, a Nintendo podcast, wherever you happen to get your podcasting awesomeness from, be it iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And don't forget, we also run a YouTube channel. So go ahead and check that out. Keep Nintendo weird, gamer glossary, and a ton more amazing content for all you guys. And we just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for hanging out with us each and every Saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. And even though we are a Nintendo podcast, we absolutely have to throw some respect Sony's way this past week here in our cross-play episode. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, fair play to Sony. I thought that was a very, very strong showcase that they had this past Thursday, showing off a ton of really good-looking games upcoming in the next couple of years on the PlayStation 5. A lot of really interesting new additions. But it really got us thinking, because obviously we have a special place in our hearts, a very special place in our hearts for Nintendo. We just couldn't help but think about all of the PlayStation exclusive games that we really wish would just come to Nintendo consoles. And we are going to count down our top five for you right now. Yeah, so interestingly, I think, I mean, obviously we're a Nintendo podcast and we love Nintendo and Nintendo has a long and storied history, but so does PlayStation. I mean, PlayStation, we've we've talked about the history between the two companies and even the sort of bad blood between the two companies, but um, there's a lot of PlayStation history um, that is, you know, just from the decades that the brand has been around and a lot of great games that we have a lot of attachment to. Yes, obviously the very first PlayStation came out back in the mid-90s, actually as a response to some shenaniganry going on with Nintendo, something that we talked about a while back on the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there have been some incredible PlayStation-exclusive games over the years, over the past five console generations of Sony gaming hardware. And there are a couple that we just really think would be right at home on Nintendo consoles. Now, this is not just going to be, you know, basically a top five Sony IP or something like that. Right. We're not really, we're not suggesting that God of War come to the Nintendo Switch. We won't be suggesting that Uncharted come to the Nintendo Switch. There will be a couple high profile IPs that we talk about. But for the most part, these are games that, you know, obviously Nintendo has a certain feel to it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about games that we think would best exemplify that Nintendo brand that would really be home on a Nintendo console. So to start off the list with my number five, I'm actually going to go, this might be a little controversial to start off with, but there are just so many great party games on the Nintendo Switch already. And we talked about Jackbox Party Pack a while back when we talked about the funniest games on the Nintendo console, but there is always room for more interesting, unique party games. My number five is actually the Buzz TV trivia game show series. Yeah, those are fun games. Yeah, they came out, I don't know if they even made any to the PS4, but there were several that came out on the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3. And yeah, that's just what they were. They were kind of like the Jackbox Party Pack games of yesteryear. But one of the weird things, one of the weird gimmicks about the Buzz games were you had to use this special, uh, you had to use the special proprietary controller to play the games with. You actually didn't play them with the regular DualShock controllers. They had this weird like game show buzzer controller that you had to use (laughs) with the games before they really started getting into the PlayStation Move. I mean, the Joy-Cons would be a perfect substitute for that. Mm, mm -hmm. Especially holding them like you would in 1-2 Switch. Holding them like you would, like you're holding a Wii Remote or something. The Joy-Cons would be a perfect substitute. And of course, there are a lot of games that have up to 8-player local multiplayer using Joy-Cons. So I think a game like Buzz would be perfect. You know, I would like to see a slightly bigger budget thrown 
at the Buzz franchise, especially if they want to bring it back. But I do really think there is a, a market, albeit not a massive one, but I do think there would be a market for the Nintendo Switch for games like that. And I'd really, really like to see a few games like that come to Nintendo's console. Yeah, I, I love a good, fun, party trivia game. I, I like Buzz the character, the sort of like Drew Carey-esque yeah. Buzz character. You he know. is kind of like Drew Carey, like young Drew Carey. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, and it was a prolific series for a long time. It uh, actually had many, many releases, but I, I was looking this up as you were talking. We haven't seen a new Buzz game since PS3 era 2010 Yep, was the last Buzz game. So maybe, yeah, it'd be cool to see it come back. I know I'm probably in the vast minority on that, but I still think it'd be really cool. I'm down. But uh, going into my number five, I'm also going to go with a uh, a game that I'm in the vast minority, I'm sure, about. A game that many of our listeners may have never even heard of that has a very special place in my heart. A game whose music actually played during my wedding. Mm. My number five is Guitaru Man from Keiichi Yano. <laughs> The PS2 cult classic. Very nice. I love Guitaru Man. It's a really fun rhythm game, and it's it's actually pretty interesting because unlike a lot of rhythm games, um, Kichiyano always kind of puts a interesting spin on his rhythm games. He's famous for the Oen Don or the Elite Beat Agents series. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with Guitaru Man... There, there's actually kind of like a battle system to it. You have it's it's all it's still a rhythm game. It's based around songs, but you've got charge, attack, and guard phases of the songs, and like health bars, and the it's actually like battles that are happening yep. during the course of the songs. It's a it's a really interesting series. It has this kind of like over the top Japanese like Saturday morning cartoon like he plays this kid who gets this legendary guitar called the last guitaru and then you turn into this super sentai guitaru man and um no I I just I absolutely love it the the music's phenomenal like I said that the legendary theme from guitaru man is one of my favorite video game songs ever and my wife and I again literally danced to it at our wedding so <laughs> It's a special game, and it would feel right at home on Switch. I mean, the Switch has been no stranger to these kind of weird uh, rhythm games. We've seen quite a few of them now, between things like Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, a few Taiko no Tatsujin games now. Yep. Um, I, I would love to see Guitar Man come back on Switch. I think it'd be cool. It'd be another uh, way to introduce a brand new generation to the weirdness that is Guitar Man. <laughs> But for my number four, obviously, when people talk about Nintendo, one of the first things that comes to mind is probably mascot platformers, whether you're talking about Yoshi or Donkey Kong or Mario. You know, you just think about mascot platformer type games when you think about Nintendo. They're practically synonymous. And there are a couple that I think would really feel at home on a Nintendo console, despite being part of the blue brand for the better part of the past 25 years. But which one? really should take my number four spot. We've already gotten Crash. A lot of Crash games have already come over, and I really don't feel like Jack and Daxter needs to follow Crash, even though both coming from Naughty Dog, obviously. I don't think Vicarious Visions needs to worry about remaking those quite yet. And Mm -hmm. I almost put Sly Cooper at this spot because it's Mm. a really, really interesting, really cool mascot platformer series in its own right. But especially with the release of the newest one on the PlayStation 5, I just can't help 
but really want to play the old Ratchet and Clank games on the Nintendo Switch. Ratchet and Clank is my number four. Obviously, the Nintendo Switch wouldn't be able to run the newest in the right. series. Was it Kraken Time? Uh, I think it's the newest one is Kraken Time was on PS3. Then there was Into the Nexus. This one is, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name of this newest one on PS5. But yeah, they just released one earlier this year. And I mean, it's obviously beautiful and they, uh, you know, it's been super well reviewed. Uh, Rift Apart, that's what yeah. it's called. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. See, this is how long it's been since I've played a Ratchet and Clank game. But they've been so good for so long. They remastered the original trilogy on the PlayStation 3. I Like, that's how long it's been. I would really like to see, if nothing else, that come to the Nintendo Switch. I think that would be a great, great get for Nintendo. I mean, that's in terms of games that could happen, that could come to the Nintendo Switch, this might be the least likely especially coming from insomniac but yep but still wouldn't it be cool to get a bunch of those old ratchet and clank games on the nintendo switch deadlocked and you know a lot of the old ps3 ones it's just such a great great franchise that's gone from strength to strength and maybe one day we can start getting games like a rift apart and the newer ones on Nintendo consoles, but at the very least, between all the different mascot platformers that Sony has had exclusive for so long, I think the one that would best fit the Nintendo Switch is the Ratchet & Clank franchise. I love that series. They, they did a really cool uh, trilogy collection back in the PS3 days that um, was, it was really just sort of like an up-res, like yeah. remaster of those three games from PS2. Yep. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love those games. I would love to play those games on Switch. Yes, please. <laughs> but uh, going into my number four, you know, I have a real affinity for Sony's handhelds. Um, I, I obviously love PS1. Had a, you know, PS2 was, was a system I spent a lot of time with. You know, PS3, maybe a little bit shakier. <laughs> but some of my favorite Sony consoles are actually the PSP and the PlayStation Vita. As a matter of fact... Until the Nintendo Switch came out, the PlayStation Vita was my favorite handheld system of all time, even beating out things like the DS and, you know, the Game Boy, Game Boy Advance and stuff like that. Not in terms of library, but in terms of the actual hardware, in terms of the actual device, the PlayStation Vita was my favorite and the PSP less so, but I still have a huge fondness for Sony handhelds. So uh, one of my very favorite series when it comes to Sony handhelds, is the Patapon series. Um, from the PSP days, they uh, made three of them, actually. Patapon 1, 2, and 3. And man, I love these games so much. They're a really interesting mix of rhythm and strategy games. Almost Pikmin-ish. You could almost kind of see it mm. being a, a little Pikmin-ish, where you actually play as the god of this tribe of Patapon. And you control the game by playing tribal instruments. Like the, the characters of the game are actually like playing musical tribute to you. And it, it just makes this really interesting flow and rhythm. And you have to change up your strategies depending on what's happening and the enemies you're encountering. You build up this army of Patapon. And um, I just think it has this really cute, quirky vibe and interesting art style. It's the kind of thing that would look and run really well on Switch. Um, I, I love the series. It's really interesting. and I think would fit 
just right at home. And then you talk about like, you could integrate multiplayer into it uh, in a really cool way on switch. You got the multiple joy cons and stuff. I would just, Oh, I would love to play this game on switch. (laughs) Well, I mean, despite the fact that it was on the Vita, I don't think it'd be that hard to translate it to an Nintendo switch platform to a control scheme on the Nintendo switch. It wasn't like the Vita was this incredibly experimental type of control setup. So I don't know, maybe there's a way to start, maybe there's a way to start preserving some of those old PlayStation Portable and Vita games in some kind of console format. Yeah, they remastered Patapon for PS4 several years ago, and you can play it on PS4, but yeah, it's not... It's not the kind of thing like on PS5, you know, you, you want to see these things being carried forward. You want to see these these kind of legacy franchises, especially weirder ones like Patapon being made readily available for everybody to play, you know? Exactly. But going into my number three, this is going to be my indie game representation here on mm. my list. And there were a couple that I really thought about. I almost put Fat Princess <laughs> In my top five, <laughs> Fat Princess has basically just been forgotten about. But it was it was one of the biggest indie games on the planet for a couple of years. It really was. Yeah. And I think that it would find a huge new audience in this Among Us, Fall Guys, Gang Beasts world that we live in now. I think if you re-released Fat Princess today, I think it would find a massive audience. But even more so than that, especially after the release of a certain game recently, on the Nintendo Switch, I would love to see the rest of the catalog from that game company mm. come to Nintendo's console. My number three is Flower, Flow, and the Seminole Journey. That'd be awesome. I would love to see that. I really think it should happen. Again, we just got Sky on the Nintendo Switch recently. So, I mean, that door's already been open. Why not bring this amazing catalog of games. Obviously, you know, you know, Flower is good, Flow, eh, not so much, but at the very least, Journey, at the very least, give your Game of the Year winning uh, Magnum Opus a second life on a platform that I think would really benefit it. No, yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, we played Sky uh, briefly on Switch, and yeah. one thing that is immediately apparent when you play it is how beautiful it is. Oh, God, and yes. Like that game company has found a way. They have performed the the voodoo magic necessary to make games like this look as good as they do and still run well on Switch. So there's not a doubt in my mind they could make Journey work perfectly on Switch. Oh, there's not a doubt in my mind either. I mean, if they can, uh, Journey was a PlayStation 3 game. It would absolutely yeah. thrive on the Nintendo Switch. Yep. And, and especially with all of the amazing independent games that have found their way to the Nintendo Switch, not just the newer games, but older games. And we'll be talking about one here in just a few minutes, as a matter of fact. But the, the Nintendo Switch has become a haven for ba- basically the entire history of this indie game renaissance that we've been in for about 15 years now. So, yep. I mean, Journey just kind of makes sense, especially after we got Sky recently. Journey, frankly, just makes sense to me. So I really hope it happens. I do, too. I would love to see that happen. Uh, Going into my number three, this is going to be a bit of a weird one. A Sony series that is very near and dear to my heart is the Hot Shots Golf slash Everybody's Golf series. Oh, oh, the golf series started by Camelot. 
Ooh. It was started by Camelot, interestingly, and they then went on to make Mario Golf famously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even just this year released a new Mario Golf game for the Nintendo Switch. And here's what I think is really interesting about this series and why I think it'd be really interesting to see on Nintendo Switch. Because not only is like the, the everybody's golf they made in 2017 um, for the PlayStation 4 is my favorite golf game just of all time. Um, that game is amazing and had like, it really kind of felt like everybody's golf does the things that Mario golf super rush wanted to do, like the kind of open world, you know, having character customization, the online play and all of that, like everybody's golf, even back then nailed that in a way that I was looking for in super rush, you know? Um, so are you saying Seth, are you trying to say, Forgive my being glib, but everyone's golf does what Nintendo don't. <laughs> a little bit in this in this context, yeah. And they had collaborations with like some weird Sony Japan Studio collaborations and other franchises, like a Nino Kuni collaboration. There was a Dark Cloud collaboration they did. So they they kind of worked in some of these Sony uh, properties and did little uh, little fun things like that. But I mean. The, the series is so wonderful. I don't think anybody's done golf quite as well. It's this beautiful, you know, Mario Golf does the kind of like arcadey golf thing really well. And so does everybody's golf. But it, it presents it in this package that is this perfect middle ground between kind of realism and cartoon. They, they just strike that balance so perfectly. And I really love the idea of having a series like this on Switch for one simple reason. I think that it would be so good for Nintendo to have competition in that space Mm. to have somebody knocking on the door to say, Hey, we're over here with a great everybody's golf game for the next Mario golf. You have to step it up, you know? And I like Mario golf super rush. It was a good game, but I mean, and, and it's getting better with free updates and stuff like that. I mean, we've, we've said plenty about that game, but I mean, if there was, and everybody's golf game on Nintendo Switch, you have to imagine Nintendo would feel the pressure to really step their game up and to really put every single Mario golf entry kind of under the microscope. And how can we make this better to compete with everybody's golf on our system? I would just, I think that would be nothing but a positive thing for Nintendo. Yeah, the arcade sports titles are something that we feel like we've been harping on a lot in the past couple months and yeah, competition breeds excellence. So yep. I, I, I like Mario golf, super rush. I really like Mario tennis aces, but there were admittedly some things that they really objectively could have done much, much better. So I, you know what, maybe if they throw a few more arcade sports titles on the Nintendo switch, maybe Nintendo will force Camelot to step their game up a little bit because I, I mean, better games is just going to benefit everybody in the end. Absolutely. And what what beautiful poetry that would be, too, if Camelot was having to compete with the series they started. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But the fact that we have Sky on the Nintendo Switch really, really inspired me putting that game company's catalog here in the top five, just because of, you know, the door's already been open, so you can see it. You can see the possibility. And subsequently, my number two is a similar situation because I've I'm, I'm been a huge fan of JRPGs ever since Final Fantasy VII. Ironically enough, another PlayStation exclusive. 
for a very, very long time. We finally got it on the Nintendo Switch, obviously, but it was like it was the poster child of PlayStation exclusivity for a long time. And you could argue that it was the reason that JRPGs became started to become popular in the West. It, It basically created the PlayStation brand for them, honestly. However, Final Fantasy VII wasn't the only PlayStation RPG series. You know, before they merged, Enix actually had a few of its own franchises. And I absolutely fell in love with this PlayStation 1 classic, Star Ocean the Second Story. Now, see, before you said that, there there are actually a couple games that could have been. So I'm excited to hear about Star Ocean. I was like, is it going to be Legend of Dragoon? Is it going to (laughs) be Wild Arms? You know, (laughs) but Star Ocean, the second story specifically, I'm putting it here on the top five because the very first game, the very first Star Ocean was exclusive to the Super Famicom. Mm. But after Square left and after the PlayStation became a huge viable option for RPGs, especially with its multi-disc setup, a lot of other companies, Enix specifically, decided to start going with Sony as well. And they released Star Ocean The Second Story and subsequently every other entry in the series exclusively on PlayStation hardware. Star Ocean Till the End of Time, Star Ocean, you know... Uh, hibiscus and butterfly, you know, just. <laughs> However, we actually got a remake of Star Ocean called Star Ocean First Departure R that we also got on Nintendo consoles. Star Ocean First Departure R is currently on the Nintendo Switch. The first Star Ocean and its remake are the only Star Ocean games we've ever gotten on Nintendo consoles. Wow. But the. The second story, Till the End of Time, maybe not so much the other games, but especially the second story until the end of time. I would love to see the rest of the Star Ocean franchise come to Nintendo platforms. Absolutely love to see those come to a Nintendo console. A little, little bit of a gamer confession. I don't think I've ever played a Star Ocean game. I adored the second story. It was so, so good. It had this real-time battle system where a bunch of RPGs were still doing turn-based battle systems where the protagonists were just standing on screen waiting for their inputs to be uh, inputted. Mm-hmm. The characters in Star Ocean, the battle system in Star Ocean was free movement already on the PlayStation 1. And even back in the first one, they had the same free movement battle system back on the Super Famicom. And you had your normal attacks, you had special attacks, HP, MP. It was a JRPG. It just had this incredibly dynamic free movement system. And even in addition to that, the party members that you would get in the game, uh, there was this incredibly deep relationship system, especially for the time, this incredibly deep relationship system that you could build relationships with between the different characters there were some characters that you could straight up miss out on depending on what private actions and what optional events you took part in there was a lot of different stuff that you could do uh my sister and i both played the game my sister didn't play a lot of video games but her and i wound up playing we wound up having very different teams in that game because of the way we played through it And again, it was just so, so cool. The battle system was really interesting. The story was really interesting. The characters themselves and the relationships they shared. You could romance multiple different members of your party if you wanted to, which led to several different endings. 
There was even this way to ramp up the difficulty of the final boss if you really wanted to hate yourself. There was this huge, massive secret dungeon. All of these things that we kind of take for granted that were pretty rare and uncommon back in the days when that game came out. It had all of it. I'm specifically talking about the second story. But mm. Star Wars Until the End of Time that came out on the on the PlayStation 2 was similarly an incredibly good RPG that ate up like 80 hours of my life. And I somehow did that in like a week. <laughs> like genuinely, wow. I, I got addicted to Star Wars Until the End of Time. So like I woke up, put like 11, 12 hours into the game and then went to sleep. Like just did that for a week. I came out, I, I was it. like, what year is it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah the first one was released on nintendo console we got the remake on a nintendo console but that's the only star ocean content that we have throughout nintendo history while we've got an entire franchise worth of games that we could could somehow theoretically get especially now that square enix is much more open to dealing with nintendo in recent years it, it blows my mind Absolutely blows my mind that we haven't somehow got other games in the Star Ocean franchise uh, to the Nintendo Switch yet. Please make that happen, guys. Yeah, I mean, I've again, I've never played Star Ocean, so I would love to have the chance to give the series a shot. But I, I have to admit, our uh, kind of coming into my number two, I think there's kind of similar vibes um, because my number two is a series, a PlayStation series that is very near and dear to my heart. I I talked about the Vita a little bit earlier. My favorite Vita game is a game called Gravity Rush. Yeah, I almost put that on mine. Dude, that that series is... They've made two of them. Uh, Gravity Rush was on the Vita, Gravity Rush 2 uh, on the PS4, and I think they even ended up porting the first one to PS4 as well. But that series is so, so special. Um, They are these kind of like open world action RPGs where the main character cat controls gravity. Uh, she can manipulate gravity to fly. She can do it in combat. And I was actually reading a little bit about the development of the first game, at least. And the inspiration actually was crackdown. So to have to, to kind of further the whole crossplay theme, an Xbox franchise inspired the development of this PlayStation franchise. So I, I really liked that. And you can kind of see that in the in the gameplay because you're kind of flying around the open world and just like in Crackdown, you're picking up these things that can upgrade abilities and um, there's a bunch of NPCs you do missions for and it, it just has like, Gravity Rush has got such a singular, unique vibe to it. The art style, the kind of like comic book cutscenes. Um, it's It's just really, really wonderful. And there's nothing quite like it I don't think on any of the any of the consoles you can make kind of comparisons to other things. Maybe there's a little crackdown in there. Maybe there's a little world ends with you in there. But when it comes to like the gameplay and it comes to just the style of Gravity Rush, there's nothing quite like it. And I would love to see the series never sold well. It released on the Vita, which was already a pretty niche platform. And then by the time they ported to PS4, nobody knows what it is. So I would just love to see it get the best chance possible for people on Nintendo Switch to play this game and to give this series a shot in the arm because I think it's really, really special and deserves to be played by more people. I agree. It's a good game. 
But uh, we have some honorable mentions, I think, to get into before we get into our number ones. Oh, we've got a couple, just a couple. I could have had much more, but I definitely wanted to. I definitely wanted to shout out Ico and Shadow of the Colossus. Mm -hmm. Just absolute classics, both of them, especially Shadow of the Colossus. Back when it released on the PlayStation Two, I'd never seen or played anything like it for many Shadow of the Colossus. I feel was the game that kind of solidified video games as a true viable medium and more so than just a kid's toy or a distraction. But I think for a lot of people, Shadow of the Colossus really was that game that said, oh, okay, video games are a legit media form now. Uh, I I would love to see Ico and Shadow of the Colossus on the Nintendo Switch. That'd be fantastic. I've already mentioned Fat Princess. I think Medieval, especially after they made that remake, I, I think Medieval would be perfectly at home on the Nintendo Switch. Please bring that remake to Nintendo's platform. That'd be fantastic. That'd be great. But uh, I want to finish off my honorable mentions with a cult classic, with a game that I don't think a lot of people remember from the PlayStation 2 era. I'm talking Odin Sphere. Oh, I love Odin Sphere. Did you actually play it? Oh, yeah. I love that game so much. I I really like um, that. That game is made by Vanillaware. Mm-hmm. And they they just have such a they remind me of treasure a little bit. I can see they've, that. Yeah, they've got just like such this penchant for making these like gorgeous, you know, like it's it's this it's a two D game, but like the the art is so gorgeous and it's got such a like addictive gameplay loop to it. I, I love it. Yeah, if you've played Miramasa on the Wii, or more mm-hmm. recently, if you've played Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, that's the type of game that we're talking about. This 2D anime uh, action adventure, magical girl insanity. <laughs> but yeah. it was really, really cool. It's uh, like even when it released on the PlayStation 2, it kind of flew under a lot of people's radar. But those who played it, those of us who played it, really really loved it yeah no it's it's a wonderful wonderful game and they actually did remake it um on ps3 and ps4 so it'd be really cool to have that remake i think it's called like odin sphere life riser or something like that um it'd be really cool to see them take that version and put that on switch and yeah just same thing with like with gravity rush just a bigger audience i would love to see that mm-hmm uh but i've got a few honorable mentions of my own um i love the twisted metal series yeah I, I yeah. really love that series. Just like the the car combat, the kind of like 90s, you know, grungy vibe that it has. I, I really like it. It doesn't necessarily play well with the Nintendo, the typical Nintendo audience, which is why I didn't make my top five. Well, it is very um, mature, but it is still very mm-hmm. arcadey. It's very yes. arcadey. And I think that plays into Nintendo, even if the mature content isn't you know, as on brand, I think the arcade nature of the game would fit fairly well. Yeah, we could we could kind of uh, appeal to that that same crowd that maybe No More Heroes does or something like that. You know, there's there's space for some mature games. Um, I'm also a big Parappa the Rapper fan. Uh, <laughs> I really like those games. Punch, They're actually kick. it's all in your <laughs> yeah, chop chop master onion man. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love those games. They're actually not very good rhythm games, but nah. they uh, they are very unique. Like the, the that series take on the traditional rhythm game formula is really unique. And I think the uh, Masaya Matsura's art and stuff like that, I think just gels really well with Nintendo. And I think that series means a lot and is very nostalgic to a lot of people. Uh, Loco Roco. 
another PSP yeah. franchise that From I the love. Patapon Studio, pu- yeah. Yeah, little uh, little puzzle game that is uh, really fun, had a lot of really neat implementation and just gorgeous art. I would love to see that uh, make its way to Switch. And then a game I keep tooting the ho- uh, the horn for, Bug Snacks. Yeah, I'm really surprised you didn't put that in your top five. I figured that would be your one, your number one. It almost was. The only reason that it wasn't in my top five is that this game is currently available only on PlayStation hardware and on PC, but it seems like there's some weird rights stuff where like Sony's not the publisher of the game or anything, but they seem to have like paid them for some timed exclusivity. And then Epic Games is actually uh, the publisher of the PC version. So there's a lot of like weird things like that to where I I was like, I I couldn't justify putting it on my top five properly because for all we know in a month, any exclusivity deal could be out or whatever, you know, and, and it's, it's not necessarily tied up in Sony as much as some of these other games that I have on my list are. So that's the only reason it didn't make my list property uh, properly, but yes, bug snacks, please, please, please come to Nintendo switch. Yeah. I'd really like to see that. And I do think it should happen. I think a lot of people may be surprised at a few of the games that didn't show up on this list. Games like Little Big Planet, I think, might be a little bit of a surprise for some people that they didn't appear on our top five. But there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, I don't know if games like Little Big Planet or Mod Nation Racers would really work on a system that has Mario Maker 2 and Mario Kart already. Sure. However, there is there is one game that the first time I saw it, I just had my fingers crossed and just, please come to the Nintendo Switch. Please come to the Nintendo Switch. Please come to... But as of right now, there are no plans to bring it to Nintendo's hybrid platform. So this is going to be my incantation, my (laughs) sacred ritual to try to bring Kina Bridge of Spirits from the PlayStation 4 and 5 all the way over to Nintendo's hybrid platform. And that's coming out soon. Two weeks. September 21st, from, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, 10 days from the release of this episode. It, If you haven't seen Kinder Bridge of Spirits, it looks stunning. It really does. It's basically if Pixar did a 3D action RPG. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it. The game is just absolutely stunning from a visual aspect. The gameplay looks really uh, satisfying and really tight. The, the Just the hit sparks and the creature designs and everything going on. It just looks like you're playing through a really epic Pixar movie. And again, from the moment I first saw the first trailer, I just had my fingers crossed. But like, please, please let us get that. It's running on Unreal Engine 4. So we could right. we could put that on the Nintendo Switch. This isn't super, you know, super uber next gen Unreal Engine five. You know, the the character models themselves aren't running at fifteen gigs. You know, Ken is a game <laughs> right. that we could put on the Nintendo Switch, and I really hope somehow, some way, uh, we were able to make that happen. Again, this is my this is my sacred ritual. This is my dark incantation. This is. Me trying to put it out into the universe to try to get Kina Bridge of Spirits on the Nintendo Switch. You will thank hey. me later, everybody. Hey, it worked for Mario plus Rabbids too. It worked for me worked when for I did it for WarioWare. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, so look, 
it's been proven. We 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 do have that psychic ability. We've done it before. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Ember Lab, the uh, studio that's making this game, uh, very famously did a amazing Majora's Mask short film mm-hmm. uh, called Terrible Fate. That is an incredible short film. And so, I mean, they clearly have a lot of love for Nintendo. So I, I would love to see that. But going into my number one, you know, it's one of those things that I I feel like every so often we bring this game up and in the confines of this list, and we're talking about PlayStation exclusive games that need to come to Nintendo Switch. My number one really could be nothing other than Persona 5. And is Persona 5 still not on the Switch? <sighs> I not only is it not on the Switch, it's not even a situation where like there's a PC version or it's only on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 3 for whatever reason. Call me crazy. Wasn't Joker the very first character released yep. announced for the Smash Fighters Pass? Yep. I mean, we, we've we've talked about this on the show before. I mean, we've had Persona 5 Strikers come out on the Switch. The game is running on PS3. It's not like it's a hardware constraint. I I don't know if Sony, like themselves, put publishing money into Atlas or whatever to make Persona 5. I don't know what the logistics are there. But seriously, why in the world? has It makes perfect sense. And I guarantee you, as well as that game is already sold, if that game released on the Nintendo Switch tomorrow, like it would it would immediately jump into the 5 million plus sellers on the Nintendo Switch. Easy. Uh, I mean, it's just the perfect platform for the game. It would it would make perfect sense with all the Smash, you know, connection, the fact that Persona 5 Strikers is on the system. I I it blows my mind that it hasn't happened already. I I'm still I everybody basically assumed after we got Joker and Smash Brothers that yeah. a Persona 5 on Switch announcement was basically imminent. It was like, okay, Joker's in Smash. That basically means that Persona 5 is coming to the Nintendo Switch, right? Right, everybody? That's what's going on. That's what's happening, right? Two years later, that's that's still happening, right, guys? That We're still doing that? Makes no sense. And, and my hope beyond hope, because we do have a persona anniversary, just like every other thing ever this year is a persona anniversary year. Um, and they have been teasing some persona announcements to correlate. I think they said something like seven announcements um, to go along with the anniversary of the game. I think the 25th anniversary is this year. So maybe, maybe there's a chance that persona five switch version will be kind of the crescendo moment of that. I, uh, I really hope so, because it's honestly a little ridiculous at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, I'm interested in seeing what Persona has up their sleeves. Obviously, like you said, it seems like everybody and their dog is having an anniversary yeah. this year. Obviously, we've already mentioned that it was Crash Bandicoot's 25th birthday this past week. Congrats again to the big wumpus fruit-eating Bandicoot. But <laughs> yeah, I, Persona 5 on Switch, win. Three question marks. Win. I expect an answer by the end of the day, Atlas. But what about you guys? <laughs> what PlayStation exclusive games would you love to see come to the Nintendo Switch? Let us know. Would you just like to see everything that was announced at the PlayStation Showcase this past Thursday? Would you just like to see I'm all sure of those? 
Yeah, why not? <laughs> if that's what you want, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and join the conversation over on Discord. Let us know all the amazing PlayStation games from yesteryear and today that you'd like to see jump over to the red brand. And speaking of the PlayStation, our indie showcase actually has quite a bit of history with Sony being released on the PS3 originally way, way back in the day. But since this idea of unity and togetherness and camaraderie is, you know, very much on our minds this weekend, not just because of WarioWare Get It Together, but, you know, other things as well, obviously, we thought we would unite PlayStation and Xbox here on our Nintendo podcast and bridge the gap between our PlayStation and our Xbox discussions. Yes. With a classic, with an iconic co-op indie game from yesteryear now available on the Nintendo Switch. Our indie showcase this week is the behemoth's classic Castle Crashers. So just kind of like going with that idea, right? So this game appeared on the Xbox 360 and on the PlayStation 3. Something that I actually didn't realize until we decided to tackle this game for the Indie Showcase is that Microsoft and Sony Computer Entertainment have both been publishers of this game Mm -hmm. at different points, which is crazy. I mean, it could not have been more perfect for the Indie Showcase this week. I mean, this is for for those who were around back in 2008 when Castle Crashers was first unleashed. The visual style may seem a bit dated for those who weren't around for the Flash animation era, for those who weren't around for kind of the heyday of internet cartoons and internet comics. The game opens with a new ground uh, splash screen. I mean, exactly. Seth and I, I think, have very fond memories of kind of the early days of the internet when people were just starting to realize what exactly this beast was. And you had people, you know, Newgrounds especially, coming out with all of these weird, wacky animations and characters and stuff like that. And the Behemoth, a game developer that originally created the 2D shooter action platformer Alien Hominid that released mm-hmm. back in 2004, decided to follow that up with castle crashers here in 2008 and still very much in the same vein of you know things like happy tree friends really and you know strong Strong bad Bad. exactly Mm -hmm. yeah all kinds of stuff like that so when you look at the visual style of this game it's not like low rent hand-drawn art which a lot of younger players might think it is it is very much it was very much kind of the in vogue the popular style of that day as hard as it is to imagine. But yeah, when it came out back in 2008, man, oh man, I had so, so much fun with that game, especially when it came to the online multiplayer and the co-op and defeating the wizard, restoring peace to the kingdom and saving the four princesses. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very, the game has been intensely nostalgic to rediscover on the switch and something we should say is that the version that is available on the switch is actually castle crashers remastered yes so the the game has a a slew of new features and of course remastered visuals uh uncapped frame rate performance improvements and all kinds of little tweaks to it uh, it includes all the DLC that they ever released for the game. So it, it is, for all intents and purposes, the definitive version of the game that you can play on Switch. 
Yeah, and as a matter of fact, this month is celebrating the second year anniversary of its release on the Nintendo Switch. came out back in September 2019. And as a matter of fact, Newgrounds is still working on the game. They just released a patch for Castle Crashers Remastered just a couple weeks ago, back on August 25th. So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see that they're still showing some love to arguably their best game. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we we kind of have, have laid the groundwork there, but, I mean, what is Castle Crashers, right? It is a... 2D side scrolling hack and slash beat 'em up with some RPG elements to it with an yep. intense focus as you've said on co-op play supporting up to 4 players locally and online. Yeah. If if you've ever played Golden Axe, those old fantasy inspired magical beat 'em ups from the 16-bit and arcade era, this is very much like a Golden Axe style beat 'em up in that way. Mm-hmm. But just like Seth said, there are some RPG elements to it. You choose from one of, I was going to say four, but there's six knights that you can right. choose here in Castle Crashers Remastered. You've got the red, the green, the orange, and the blue. And for Castle Crashers Remastered, you've got the blacksmith knight or blacksmith. And then you've got the pink knight, very reminiscent yep. of Donut for those who have seen uh, red versus blue. <laughs> yeah totally but you play through i think there's like 25 ultimately playable characters you can unlock but i'm getting ahead of myself you play as one of these characters and you start off the story headbanging in the bottom of a castle and (laughs) drinking mead or whatever and then an evil wizard shows up in the kingdom and takes their power crystal something and kidnaps yeah. four princesses. So it's a very classic kind of arcade, old school style video game motif and narrative. But it's all wrapped up in this, you know, kind of borderline mature, uh, tongue-in-cheek, super comedic toilet humor personality that just oozes yep. out of every frame of Castle Crashers. This is not necessarily a game for young kids. There is some actual poo uh, and poo jokes flying around, you will be cutting the heads off of characters. It's insane. Yeah, th- this game has got the single best poop joke in the history of video games, probably. Um, and, I- and I'm including the great mighty poo in that uh, from Conker's Bad Fur Day. But yes, it is maybe for teenagers, I would say. Maybe not for like little kids. There, There is some kind of like lewd humor. It's kind of juvenile. Yeah. It's kind of immature. But that there is something charming about that. I don't know if charming's the right word for it, but it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely got a really strong personality in this game. Mm-hmm. And if it resonates with you, I promise you are going to love every second of Castle Crashers. If it doesn't, you know what? I can kind of understand where you're coming from. Watch an episode of if you're old enough, watch an episode of Happy Tree Friends on the internet and see if you like that. If you like that, chances are you're going to like Castle Crashers. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, so you've got this kind of like, you know, basic, I think intentionally basic fantasy game setup that is, you know, kind of in the packaging of this crude Newgrounds kind of style and world. And the thrust of the game is just going through these stages, you know, fighting and defeating enemies, collecting loot, you know, and mm-hmm. leveling up and uh, eventually taking on bosses and doing it all with your friends. The game is just really fun. 
Yeah. And I mean, we've already said beat them up. We've already compared it to Golden Axe. So a lot of people should already know what they're in for. You have a bunch of basic attack combos with your sword or whatever weapon you choose to have. And you will continue to get more throughout the course of the game. You've got your standard normal and heavy attack. You also have a list of items that you'll acquire throughout the course of the game, like potions, a bow and arrow, even a, uh, even a shovel that you can use, yep. a horn, several items that you can cycle through and use. Uh, you also have magic attacks that you can use. And this is where the different characters are really going to shine. That's where the the different character flourishes are really going to come through because a lot of the characters do have very similar attacks. When it comes to their normal and heavy attacks, they do wind up having a lot of the same combos and a lot of the same attack strings. However, uh, all the characters have their own magical attacks. They have similarly themed like splash attacks, projectile attacks, but each character does have their own personality and their own specific magical attacks that they can that only they can use. Yeah, and that that is kind of the big differentiator. I mean, everybody is otherwise going to have these same basic functionality. It's not going to be a situation where it's like, oh, I'm playing as the mage and I've got all this, you know, kind of subset. I'm playing as the rogue. No, they're all going to kind of for the most part, controlled the same, except for, you know, the, the magic attacks are really where the characters start to feel different. And uh, characters do have stats, but it's not actually based on the character themselves. It's actually stats that you choose and you allot points and level up yourself throughout the course of the game. Yes. Uh, just like Seth was talking about, you have RPG elements. As you attack and defeat enemies, you will gain experience. And every time you level up, you will gain points that you can put toward one of four stats. You have attack, which of course increases your uh, the damage that you deal with your attacks. You have uh, defense, which increases your health and your defense. You have the magic stat, which actually gives you a ton of benefits. If you increase your magic stat, you actually increase your MP. The rate at which your MP recharges, your magic attacks will actually get bigger and have more range. And you will continue to learn new magic attacks as you continue to put points toward that. And then the last stat is speed which also, uh, in addition to increasing your foot speed, your run speed, also enhances your archery ability, going back to that bow and arrow item that you can use from the items menu. And even in addition to all these stats that you can continue to level up and continue to add points to as you level up, there are a couple other modifiers in the game. The weapons themselves, one of the reasons that most of the characters have... uh, kind of a blanket set of attack strings, normal and heavy attacks, is the fact that there are, what, like 40 different weapons in the game that can all modify combat? Yeah, there Mm -hmm. are a ton of different weapons in this game. Each individual knight has their own normal weapon that they start the game with. However, each character, each knight-style character in the game, of which there are many, have their own uh, kind of personal weapon but even in addition to that a lot of them carry secondary weapons that they can wind up dropping that they have a chance to drop and then you can pick uh then you can pick it up and start wielding that one and each weapon in the game again modifies combat because each one can modify both your stats and can have uh they can have a critical attack stat and they can even add an element to your attack as well 
So there's a ton of different modifiers from the different weapons, and some of them are just really, really cool. I love the different weapons in this game, and collecting them was one of my favorite things about Castle Crashers back in the day. Some of them were really, really annoying to find, but some of them are just so cool, and some of them are so clearly homages and references to other weapons throughout fantasy oh, and yeah. sci-fi history. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And another one of the things is the weapons that have the stronger stat modifiers, you have to be of a certain level before you can wield those. So there are mm-hmm. some very powerful end-game weapons that will increase your stats, that will augment your stats quite a bit, but you do have to become strong enough in order to use them. Yeah. And then, like, you you mentioned, too, like, there's even additional wrinkles to... So I mean, so you've got your basic setup with the knights, You've got stats you can increase, like a like an RPG. You've got weapons. And then in addition to the weapons, you also have little cute, adorable animal companions. Oh, they're so cute. They're so cute. A whole stable of them that can also improve your attributes or do other kind of special abilities that can help you in combat or exploration. They all have their own little wrinkle or ability that they do. I mean, that just... It, there, there's quite a bit of depth when you take all of those things into consideration. And in addition to everything else, you will actually continue to unlock new attacks throughout the entire course of the game. In addition to getting points that you could put uh, toward any one of those four attributes I already mentioned, as you level up, you will continue to learn new combos and new attack strings throughout the entire course of the game. Even going into the final boss, I leveled up fighting the final boss and learned a new attack string at the final boss. So you'll start with a fairly basic attack setup. You'll start with, you know, a fairly basic weapon. You'll start with no animal companion and only a couple attacks. But throughout the course of the game, you augment your, your loadout and your capabilities by a ton. And this is in a game that will probably only take you seven hours to beat. And for a beat-em-up, that's actually a, a very big campaign for a first playthrough. Oh yeah, that that's actually fairly robust for a first playthrough. And then in addition to that, I mean, if you want to 100% this game, it's going to take you a long time. Uh, how long to beat.com actually has that around 50 hours. I mean, there are characters that you can only unlock from doing full playthroughs with other characters. So, I mean, this game's got quite a bit of meat on the bone. Yeah, there's a ton. There's a deceptively large amount of content in this little package. And honestly, that was the case when the game originally released. There was always a ton of stuff in this game. And there's going to be a ton of combat. That's obviously what the main focus behind the game is. But they do break it up quite a bit. Yes, you're going to be fighting a ton of enemies. But there are, uh, blessedly, some really interesting sections in the game that do break up the combat quite a bit. Toward the beginning, there is a very memorable chase sequence we certainly won't spoil what happens because i would never spoil something like that for somebody but (laughs) but there are a few really interesting non-combat related sequences throughout the course of the game there's one uh one really interesting one toward the end of the game that has to deal with uh specifically listening to stuff that is happening Mm. off screen and then reacting to it, being able to react to it once whatever happened off screen shows up on screen. Like you specifically have to listen for the attacks that are coming right. and know how to react to them. That was actually a really cool, fun little sequence. There's a river sequence that's kind of annoying. 
But for the most part, a lot of the non-combat stuff they add into the game, I think really works, especially as a way to break up the monotony and to keep the gameplay from feeling fresh. Because again, you're going to do so much combat in the game that they really had to do something to break it up. Uh, some of the some of the levels I think are really well designed in this way. A lot of the obstacles and a lot of the non-combat related stuff they put in the game do specifically remind me like there's a, a stage that specifically reminds me of like the technodrome from teenage mutant ninja turtles that has a lot of similarly not not similar obstacles but a lot of stuff that kind of brought back those memories of playing turtles in time a lot of stuff right. that you know just kind of harkened back to a lot of old beat-em-ups yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting too because when, when I'm thinking about the way that the game is laid out, I, I really like how the story, we, we were talking about this as we were playing the game a little bit together, and we'll touch on that here in a second, but um, as we're playing the game together, we kind of just like thought aloud about how the game does a really good job of, even though it's a very kind of like bare bones, generic fantasy story, it actually does a pretty impressive job of kind of like introducing characters and pushing the plot along in an interesting way without ever uttering a word really. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> there's actually a lot of story beats that happen in the game. Again, the narrative itself isn't going to win any awards, but there'll constantly be little things, little story flourishes throughout the course of the stage that really help push that narrative along you'll be seeing new enemies that will show up later on in the arcade mode that's one of the things i really like is a lot of the bosses and a lot of the encounters kind of introduce themselves you actually have a little bit of anticipation before you go into the yeah. fight proper whereas a lot of bosses in beat em up specifically just kind of appear with no fanfare and then you defeat them and then that's it you never see them again I do really like the way that this game builds up, not just the bosses, but a lot of the different characters and a lot of the things that you'll see throughout the course of the game. And again, they just kind of intersperse those moments in the stages themselves. There are no, you know, the, the game begins with a cutscene, but aside from that, there are really no true cutscenes. There's a couple cutaways that take right. place for only a couple seconds. But for a big portion of the game, a lot of the stuff happens right on screen, right in the midst of gameplay. And I always found it really interesting because it interrupted the gameplay just enough to interest us in what's coming next. It never happened enough to really get annoying, and it never happened long enough to get annoying. It happened, I right. think, just enough to really keep pushing us along and really... I was very interested. I was always interested to see what happened next. And going back to the game on the Nintendo Switch, it was so great to re-experience all of this and be like, oh, man, I remember that character. It's like, oh, I remember. You know what? He can get in the bin. Forget him. I hate that fight. <laughs> yeah. But it was still great. Right. It, was, it was very nostalgic. It was almost like coming back Christmas morning and reopening a present that you'd forgotten about. And, and I think the, that pace that we're talking about makes the game extremely playable, makes it very just fun and snappy. And there are going to be things like there, you have the ability to go back to previous levels and there are going to be things like where, oh man, like I want to grind out this level and try to get this weapon. And I want to, you know, I need some gold. I better go back to this stage where there's a lot of gold or whatever. And the game just sort of like kind of beautifully without doing too much 
kind of lends itself well to that style of play. I think it I think it's it's actually really smartly designed in that way. It's very well structured. It's not just some left to right affair the entire time. There are a couple times where you'll actually have to go into a stage and leave and come back. There's several branching paths throughout the course of the game. There's actually a little bit of item collecting and a little bit yeah. of I don't want to say problem solving necessarily. But it's not just some staunch, you know, point A to point B to point C to point D kind of thing. There are a couple times where you will have to backtrack. You will have to take the long way around or you'll have to go to another stage to find something so that you can go back and come finish this stage. But even in addition to that, you have stores, several stores that you can go through uh, that you can go to throughout the course of the game and several arenas that you can visit throughout the course of the game that will unlock as you continue to beat uh, stages. And obviously the stores are there for you to buy new weapons, buy new animal companions and load up on potions and bombs and other things for the road ahead. The arenas are of course what they, what you think they are. They are combat challenges in which you will wind up adding yet another new character to your stable upon beating them. So you've got the main campaign, but you've also got a couple little side things that you can do as well. The game isn't overflowing with side quests, but it does have some really interesting little distractions that you can get yourself into. And actually, speaking of distractions, uh, there are a couple side modes outside of the normal arcade adventure mode. There's a couple other little side modes here in Castle Crashers. There is actually a PvP mode. If you're done with the co-op for the day and you want to just duke it out with your friends, either on the couch next to you or... You know, in Seth and mine's case, thousands of miles away, uh, you know, there is actually PvP in this game, which I'm glad they added. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's simple. Um, I will say you were telling me that there's not a whole lot of people playing it online. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> but I, I will admit if you are going to play this game, uh, either in co-op or PvP, this is a game that even even if it did have a million player fan base that was constantly online. This was definitely the type of game that I think you'd want to coordinate with your friends. This is definitely the type of game that you'd want to go co-op with your buddies. And if you wanted to do PVP player versus player, it's also the type of game that I think you'd want to play with your friends as well. Yeah, I agree. I think the co-op and and I mean that's such a big focus of the game, right? The fact that you can hop in, play this game with your friends, the fact that there are some, you know, there, there are little mechanics like the fact that you can revive each other when you go yeah. down and stuff like that. I mean, there's there it's such a co-op game. Yeah, and the revive mechanic actually is another really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, Seth, because the revive mechanic is actually a really interesting kind of subtly genius mechanic within the game. Because yeah. the, re- the revive uh, mechanic in this game is actually kind of a mini game. You can actually perform CPR on the person you're trying to revive. And there's a, uh, a ticker that goes left to right. And if you're able to time it correctly, you can actually bring that person back with full health. But if you mess it yeah. up, uh, they'll have only a fraction of their health. Now, the problem is, is you need a few seconds in order to perform that perfectly. You don't always have a few seconds to do that in Castle Crashers. If you can somehow find a few seconds, sure, yeah, take your time. Bring your friend back with full health. But if you're in the middle of a boss battle and they're coming at you, you may want to just, you know what, I'm just, I'm bringing you back super quick. You're not going to have a lot of life left, but I need some help. 
Right. So I really, really like that. It's just another aspect of kind of the detail centric design, even though it's simple, it's very clear that there were a lot of detail centric ideas and a lot of detail centric developers working on this game. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I don't have a ton of complaints with the game. There, there is something that you and I both notated yeah. um, as, as a bit of an annoyance. And, and it's something that kind of does come part and parcel with the uh, genre. And I think this game, it's a little more accentuated than others, but um, there, there is something to be said about a game like this where yes, it is a side scrolling 2d game, but it is not on a one-to-one 2d plane. And what I mean by that is, like if you're playing Mario and you're going from left to right, that Goomba is going on the same plane you are, you know, and yep. Castle Crashers, you've got a kind of like open field. And even though it's hand drawn and displayed in 2D, the actual planes of movement are all throughout that area. So you'll have situations where you feel like you should be hitting somebody, but because they're just a little below or a little above you, your hits don't connect. And, and that that can be annoying. Yeah. And that's definitely the biggest frustration that comes with the game. And it is one that admittedly you probably will run into fairly frequently. But yes, just like Seth said, there there will be quite a few times where you'll throw out an attack thinking that you're right next to the enemy. But the game says, no, you guys aren't on the same plane. Whiff! Yeah. Yeah. And that can, I mean, that can really, there's some intense combat sequences in here. And, and, and that could be the difference between life or death sometimes. That could be something where it's like, oh, I thought I was blocking that. Yeah. Guess not. <laughs> yeah. There are some really intense combat sequences in here. And that actually, that bears mentioning with a lot of different beat-em-ups, especially a lot of the ones that we've talked about here on the past, games like you know Streets of Rage 4 specifically, mm-hmm. even going into the end of the game, you probably won't need more than one or two combos to take out the vast majority of the enemies in this game. Not so in Castle Crashers. The, the combat in here is pretty meaty. Going into the second half of this game, those enemies get really damaged, Spongy. Individual combat oh, encounters yeah. are going to take a few minutes. So this isn't some type of game where you just wind up hitting each individual enemy a couple times and they go down. No, you're going to have to deal with large groups of enemies that have quite a bit of HP and they will continue to attempt to surround you. The AI in this game is actually pretty good. It is. So, you know, again, just another really interesting thing that I got to hand it to them. So definitely be aware of the plane that you're standing on when it comes to that. And, you know, figure out how you want to play, figure if you want to, you know, be a a speedy magician and just try to stay away from enemies. That's actually what I did with Red Knight. I love Red Knight because Red Knight has this thunderbolt. And I was just like I told Seth, I was palpatining people the entire time, (laughs) just standing back, shooting out my force lightning, like in unlimited power. (laughs) You were Palpatine and everybody else was Mace Windu. Basically, yes. (laughs) And that's so incredibly satisfying because... For Red Knight, for his magic attack, his base magic attack is just this—it's uh, just this sustained forward lightning attack that can stun lock enemies. Oh and, yeah! And once you build it up enough, the range increases on it, and you're able to sustain it for even longer. So you can wind up hitting an entire wave of enemies if you can somehow line it up. You can hit an entire wave of enemies and just stun lock and do literally hundreds of damage to this entire wave, and it's so incredibly satisfying. And then. 
I, I just I love the different magic attacks, especially Pink Knight has these wonderful rainbows and different oh, yes. chibi characters. That it's so great. I love the different personality flourishes that come through with the magic attacks. I, I do kind of wish, ultimately, you know, playing this game in 2021, I do kind of wish that the characters had a little bit more of a difference to them, even outside of the magic attacks. But when you take everything else into consideration even outside of the aesthetics, when you take the different magic attacks, when you take the the dozens of different weapons and the different animal orbs, there's still a lot of customizability and a lot of different, you know, you have two characters that can wind up playing very differently based on, again, their own individual characteristics and how you choose to build them up and what weapons you choose to use and the animal orbs that you choose to employ. So you start off with all these pieces and you can really put them together however you want to. And don't you, I mean, you just got to respect a game that lets you do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this game is just deceptively deep in practically every element of it. I mean, this game has got more meat on the bone than you think. This game has got like more gameplay hours than you probably think. This game has got a lot going on. And again, you can do it all with a friend and we highly encourage you to. I will say uh, playing together online, we did experience some lag. Yeah. Um, not not bad. Like we got some lag spikes, you know, but very playable still. Like we oh, totally yeah. had a good time. Yeah, you know? we absolutely enjoyed ourselves. There were definitely moments of lag, and even a couple times where the game itself had to load. So yeah. yes, that's in there. But the majority of the time that Seth and I were playing online, it was very very smooth. And there was a there was a really interesting little touch that they added to online play that I know you specifically wanted to bring up, Seth. Oh yeah, because it's what's nice about it is it is true drop in, drop out. So like when we got done um, playing, like you you were actually the host of the game. You invited yes. me to the game. Yes. Um, which another thing that I like is that this game is one of the few Switch games that uses the Switches online invite functionality yeah so kidding that was nice (laughs) (laughs) that was nice but so you invite me to the game we're playing on your game you know and whenever we ended the session and you left you know in in any other game it would have kicked me out to the main menu said the host ended the session whatever no in castle crashers it very seamlessly just put me into my game there was no screen there was no like message or anything like it just well it just literally just said eric left but now i was in my game just locally i was just playing my game and that that's just so smart so brilliant to like remove all of those barriers i didn't have to go futz through other menus i didn't have to reselect my character i i could just keep playing right from where we left off that was awesome Yeah, and I'll just add one last little thing to this game because we've already talked and gushed about this game so much. (laughs) It's it's definitely an indie game worth checking out. A lot of uh, gamers of a certain age will probably remember it as one of the first real standout indie games of that era, but it still very much holds up to this day. And like we keep saying, there's a ton of content in here. They did add a new mode, a, a Barbarian Keepaway or something in the remastered version. To be completely honest, it's not really that special. There's an interesting idea there, but they really do almost nothing with it. So that almost, it, it basically winds up being a, a five minute distraction. But yeah. but the entire rest of the game is absolutely worth exploring every crevice. Unlocking all the different characters was a blast. Unlocking all of their different magic attacks and their 
you know, weapons, because again, each character comes with their own weapon. And when you unlock that character, you can then use their weapon with any of the other characters in the game. But, uh, but on top of that, there's just so much to do in this game. And if you're really looking for a challenge, if you really want even more to do outside of playing through the game itself, unlocking the characters, finding the animal buddies, finding all the different weapons in the game, if you still want more to do, there is actually a new game plus. They call it insane mode. And once you beat the game proper and you've seen the credits, which is a, an experience. I'm just going to say that <laughs> it's an experience, especially the post credit scene. Definitely, definitely stick around for the post credit scene in Castle Crashers. But even if you're still looking for something to do, check out Insane Mode. The enemies do a lot more damage. They have a lot more health. You know, if by the time you get to that, hopefully you've become proficient enough at the game that you can still take it on, especially with a friend or three. Right. But but that insane mode is definitely there for people who still want to get more out of this game. A lot of game for fourteen ninety nine for sure. Yeah, that that surprised me. I was fully. Ex- I honestly was expecting like twenty nine ninety nine for this yeah. game when I picked it up on the Nintendo Switch. There is a ton of content here for just fifteen bucks, especially if you can get it on sale. You, I mean, honestly, there's no justifiable argument to not own castle crashers. If you're even remotely a beat em up fan or a fan of this type of humor in general. Yeah. It comes, comes highly, highly recommended. You've probably already played it. It's worth revisiting. If you haven't played it, there's a demo, which you tell me is amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> the end of the demo is so great. The way they actually end the demo is, uh, it's just chef's kiss. Beautiful. But if it's not apparent enough, guys, we fully endorse the purchase of Castle Crashers Remastered on the Nintendo Switch. If you want to play some online with us, hit us up. Maybe we'll jump online with you and go crash some castles together. Who knows? (laughs) But if you've played it, let us know what you thought of it. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us all of your favorite memories of Castle Crashers, even if it's back on the PS3 or the Xbox Live Arcade on the 360. Yeah, and so, I mean, we have made this bridge now between PlayStation and Xbox. But here we are on the other side of that bridge and we've arrived at Xbox, Eric. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting. We This is a, a topic that we've wanted to cover for a while and something that I think we, we needed to find the right guest for. So we're going to talk about Xbox and Nintendo. We're going to talk about what the we're two... finish this crossplay episode. Exactly. Finish the crossplay episode and... Uh, We're bringing along a special guest, so let's welcome them to the show right now. All right, dear listeners, it has been a long time coming, but we are so excited to welcome our very special guest to the show this week for a cross-play chat about Xbox and Nintendo. He's the man behind the You, Me, and Capri network and podcast where he makes just a ton of shows, including being at the steering wheel of a little show you may have heard of called The Xbox Drive. So go ahead and grab yourself a big old McDonald's Diet Coke and welcome all in right now, Mr. Sean Capri. Yay! I literally did grab a, a little McDonald's. Actually, it's a large McDonald's Diet Coke. It's here. I did just, just a moment. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I really did consider going for a drive for this show but i'm i'm in my basement i'm I'm at home i'm not using a gasoline for this where um yeah it's, it's all good man this is like so prepared and so you guys are so well organized way more than any of the shows that i'm a part of man this is awesome thank you so much for the warm welcome 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Can't wait. It's been, it's, like I said, it's been a long time coming, been a fan of your content for a long time and your, your huge inspiration and just like your, your energy and your work ethic. Um, uh, I, I love it, man. Uh, do me a favor, Sean, just to kind of, I, I think a lot of our audience probably is similar to yours. A lot of our listeners are probably familiar with you, but to the heathens that are not <laughs> just kind of, uh, let us know a little bit about what you do. Sure, man. This is the one thing I think that I'm pretty bad at usually. Um, I am if, too. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I host a few podcasts. It's become a bit of a sickness. Um, yeah, do the Nintendo Drive and the Xbox Drive where I drive around in my car, talk about Nintendo with uh, my friend Console Cato on the Nintendo Drive. So we try to keep that kind of on the shorter end of things, uh, less than an hour, somewhere between 40 and 50 minutes to fit in other people's commutes, as well as the Xbox Drive podcast where basically same idea, but I'm with Ryan Turford, the man on the moose, mm-hmm. and we talk about Xbox. So I feel like I'm pretty well prepared for the topic at hand tonight. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> really, where it all started for me was with a little show called We the Gamer Cast, where I have sweet hangs with strangers from the internet. And that's where I've met so many wonderful people. I've had a couple hundred conversations with a variety of, of uh, podcasters and gamers and non gamers alike, just from around the internet and have just been on this journey, man, for the last, I don't know, five or six years or so, creating podcasts and meeting people and practicing the skill and all that good stuff, dude. It's been it's been a great ride so far. Lord bless you for trying to create a show with random people from the internet of all yeah, places. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was all <laughs> part of necessity, man. I think that's that's some of like our best creative moments where um, things are limited when we're kind of backed into a corner. I wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't have reliable co-hosts. So Anytime that I, I come across like a show like your guys's and you have and I, and I've been lucky enough since then to lock down co-hosts that we, you know, we were podcasting at the same time every week, you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays for those shows and Monday nights for me on We The Gamer Cast. It's hard to do, man. It's not something people often talk about. And if you don't create a podcast, it's not really anything that you're aware of. It's really difficult to find that and to have it as high priority for both people or for many people. So for We The Gamer Cast, it was I didn't have anybody to um, to, to lock down. So it, I went, well, I'll just have a new guest every week. And that's been that's been going ever since, I think, 2015. December 2015 might have been the first episode. And yeah, it, it has just completely, honestly, like not to get too deep into it, but it, it totally changed my life. It totally changed yeah. the trajectory of what I do with my time and my identity and the opportunities that it has pre- presented and opened up for me over the years has been just incredible, dude. Nice. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I, I love all your stuff and I, I love the kind of like with we, the gamer cast, you get kind of that almost like, yeah, I mean, it's sweet hangs. It's kind of low key and casual, but you get into some deep stuff sometimes. I mean, depending on the guests and yeah, you know, like it's, there, there's something nice about that, something therapeutic about that kind of style. And then you have like the, you know, the Xbox drive, Nintendo drive, where it's kind of more laid back. Your, your guests are, you're a co-host rather for that show are, are both awesome. Like mm-hmm. Ryan and Cato are both great. Also, yeah. um, like just great compliments to you. So yeah, it's, it's awesome, man. And, uh, Thanks, and again, man. we're, we're so thrilled to, to have you on the, um, the topic at hand, Sean, because we're doing yes. kind of a cross-play episode. Yes, we're going to be talking about Microsoft and Xbox. I assume you're familiar. Yes, yeah. I have a manual <laughs> yeah. here. I have a I have a book that I can reference during this conversation. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> and, and so, with the kind of cross-play theme, this theme of unity, we're talking. We earlier in the episode we talked PlayStation a bit, and obviously PlayStation had a big showcase um, just earlier today at the time we're recording this. And I mean, it's 
that there's kind of a lot going on in all of these different universes. But when it comes to Xbox and Nintendo, these are two interesting companies that have been kind of playing together a little bit lately. And I think do interesting things. They, they both have their own strengths and their own weaknesses. And I kind of just wanted to pick that apart a little bit and pick mm. your brain about that a little bit, Sean, some of the strengths of the brands and yeah. what they could learn from each other. And I, I think one of the first things that I'm interested uh, is just in terms of just the Xbox brand and Microsoft and where they are headed, both as a console, as an IP, as a brand, do you think that they're headed in a positive direction or do you think that they may, or do you think that they need to make some left turns in order to kind of get back on track? Mm, I think that they have made the left turns. I think they've made, I think they're all out mm. of left turns without actually just creating a full 360 degree circle. Um, An Xbox so, 360 three, degree circle? Exactly. <laughs> right back to where they were two generations ago, you know, which is so funny if you really think about, you know, how in, in retrospect, that generation was kind of a disaster and somehow they managed to just stay on top of, you know, what that red ring of death and a lot of hardware issues really just, um, but, but what I think you, you glean from that to the point of this conversation is that it's about the games and that's where Nintendo's strength is. And that's where I think Xbox is headed. But I think people often forget about a lot of the exclusives and big deal games that were happening at that time. Of course, everybody knows about the halos and the gears and the forzas, um, but people, I think, forget that Bioshock started out as a as an exclusive and Mass Effect yeah. started out as, as an exclusive. Oh, yeah. And there were many others, like especially in that there was a couple of years there it was just like, bam, huge, huge games. And it was an it was a very accessible console that people could get for, um, I don't know, a couple, maybe six hundred dollars less than the PS3 at the time. Um, <laughs> right. Maybe not six, but yeah, way, way less. And it was just very, very popular, it hit all the right notes and had Peter Moore at the helm of. Just somebody who is totally tapped mm. into maybe like I would say he's he was tapped in with the gamers, but probably more important than that, just customers. And he's such a marketing mm-hmm. genius. He continues to be that. But that's really the the hallmark, I think, of the 360 generation. And yeah, you, you when you leave that behind and do what they did with Xbox One at the same time, allowing PlayStation to have one of their best generations of all time. Um, right. Yeah, definitely set them back a little bit. So right now they are headed in a positive direction, but it is taking them. They're burning so much fuel to do it yeah. to catch up. You know what I mean? Like a lot of. Calories. I love all these drive references here. Oh, I don't these, even. Dude, I don't even try for it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. That's that's a great point. And do you, I mean for me when I look at Xbox, they. They seem to me, as somebody who is not big in, I, I was a huge fan of the original Xbox, played a lot of 360. Mm-hmm. Xbox One, they sort of lost me. Sure. And I haven't really fully come back into the fold. I'd like to. I have Game Pass for mm-hmm. my uh, for my PC and everything, and, and I like that, but I haven't picked up like a Series X or anything yet. Not only just because you can't find one, yep. but also because I just, I haven't, the interest hasn't been there because for me, the games aren't really there. But I sure. think that, um, when, when I look at Xbox, I mean, they're buying up all of these studios. And as you said, Sean, they're heading in that direction. Like we're seeing them, they have an interest in doing that, but right now, like their big focus just seems to be, they want to be a place where you play the stuff that's already available. They, they have game pass. They want to be the sort of hub for your gameplay and in, in, in opposition to something like Nintendo, where they're like, we have all this great first party stuff. Yeah. We want you to play it everywhere. Xbox is like play all that stuff here because you have something like Game Pass that it all kind of feeds into. 
Yeah, and I, I guess I'm kind of amazed that that um, they haven't won more people over. It's been it's been harder to win more people, I think, over the last year or so. Um, the the mm-hmm. shortage on the console, I think, doesn't help, obviously. Yeah. But like when I'm playing Xbox, like it's almost too easy. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's almost <laughs> it's almost like I forget how easy. It, I just like I turn it on and all the games are there, and then I go over. And oh, man, I feel like I always have to put this disclaimer out there. I purchased, I think, three or four PlayStation 4s last generation. Countless controllers, right. countless games. I've been a PlayStation Plus subscriber since it was a thing. I was bought into that since it was cloud saves. I just wanted to pay for that. So, okay. So there's my disclaimer on PlayStation that I'm a supporter. Have been a supporter <laughs> for a long time. Bought the ridiculously expensive PS3 with uh, Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid 4 and Uncharted because I wanted to see oh my gosh. Uh, Nate Drake's wet pants. I wanted all of mm-hmm. that stuff. I'm a fan. However, Nintendo and PlayStation really do make it seem difficult to play games. There's all these, all the things that seem to trip up uh, Xbox in the previous generation are happening now on PlayStation and on Xbox or on, on, on Nintendo, but don't seem to trip them up because of the games. This is going to be, it's always going to come back to this for me whenever I kind of maybe bash one of the others or, or point out one of the, the shortcomings. Sure. They, they are not as bad or they don't seem to, to halt the progress for Nintendo or PlayStation because they've got God of War and Mario and even Metroid this year seems to be making a bit of a comeback as well. Yeah. So yeah. you have those things that, you know, well, we'll that, that is the biggest pull. The gravity is strongest with those, with those IP um, and Xbox has all the other things It makes, they make it so easy that I'm like, I don't even realize how little money I have to spend on Xbox. Um, I'm starting to even forget that games are coming out on game pass. I just assume that they will, and I will have games to play over there. So yeah, it just kind of surprises me when I, when I see things like a $70 upgrade is going to be the norm on PlayStation or, you know, backwards right. compatibility just doesn't exist in Nintendo and we're okay with it. Like the rules are different for each one. And I'm kind of I'm kind of done pointing out the hypocrisy of it all, but more just like observing the differences, because there's no Mm -hmm. way to just like convince somebody that it's better over here because of X, Y and Z. Like I'm kind of I've tried that and it's exhausting and the Internet is too abundant to to try and like fight that (laughs) battle. If everybody has their opinions on where they want to play and like that's just it. All I can do is kind of point out what I see and what I see is that it's it's way easier on on Xbox. I, I just continue to have struggles and hiccups um on the other platform so for me it makes sense but for some other people it makes sense to be a play elsewhere too i would say and this is just a few observations that i've had looking at xbox especially over the past couple generations is you know when it comes to you know consoles i think ultimately especially in retrospect they're going to wind up being defined by their library by mm-hmm. the games that you could actually play on them, regardless of all the bells and whistles that you can get on any given console, regardless how much of a multimedia player it is. I think ultimately, and again, especially in retrospect, a console is going to be defined by its games and more yeah. importantly, its exclusives. Obviously, mm-hmm. Nintendo has always had you know, this big identity. They've always been cognizant of and very protective, of course, of their first party games, talking about Mario and Metroid and stuff like that. And PlayStation has been around long enough that they still have, you know, very much that identity, even though Crash is multi-platform now, Crash is still very much tied to the PlayStation brand. You've got God of War and you've got several other games. It's almost felt like, especially in recent generations, that Xbox, despite having Halo and Forza and Gears, like you said, almost as if they're they're kind of lacking in an identity. They haven't really done too much with Halo. Forza has been, you know, Forza has been great, but it hasn't been this 
you know, it's, it's not for everybody. It's an arcade racing sim or it's a racing simulator. So you've had these couple big marquee franchises, but those come out once every few years. But outside of those, it's been hard for, I feel like it's been hard for Xbox to really establish themselves and their first party games as an identity, as a place where they could say is like, okay, what identifies Nintendo? These games, what identifies my uh, PlayStation? These Mm -hmm. games, what identifies Mm -hmm. Xbox? And I, I feel like that lack of identity might have hurt them because I think something that's contributed to that lack of identity is some squandered potential from a lot of the previous studios that they've purchased up. Obviously, I think a big one, especially for us being Nintendo fans, is rare. I feel like there was a ton of squandered potential there. Obviously, like you said, they are making you know a play to, to get back into that, especially with this huge, massive blockbuster deal with Bethesda. But yeah. yep. this was basically, I think, just a long-winded way of saying, do you feel that Microsoft has had an identity issue in the past? Yeah, I, I feel like that is something that I've been talking about for a number of years and and use that exact word is the identity. And I guess kind of part of that comes from like, what is the focus? Like what is, and that's where the Peter Moore kind of, the days of Peter Moore kind of come in where it's like, he was focused on just getting exclusives that you were going to, that was going to be a really exciting place to play. The focus now is Game Pass, but the question remains, and that like, is that an identity? It's a different, it's different. And it's asking gamers who don't typically like change to change a little bit, to try and change their, their opinions and their attitudes and their behaviors. That's a really uh, in marketing, that's a very expensive thing <laughs> to try and yeah, do. So right. that's what you're seeing with a 7.8, or I think it was actually finally reported to be more than $8 billion for the, the final purchase price for Bethesda. So, you know, it's, it's like, okay, so if there is no identity or there's a lack thereof, or there's a lack of focus, what is it? The focus is, is Game Pass moving forward, but for it to be established as part of the identity, we're going to have to wait for time and money to sort of pass. And then on the game side, do you compete head on with um, sort of those already formalized ed- identities that PlayStation and Nintendo have? Do you do you head on and go, we need a mascot platformer and we need sort of like family friendly type of stuff like Nintendo? Or do we have the narrative driven third person over the shoulder, uh, you know, really heavy single player experiences? Or do you do something else? And I and I see maybe some of this focus coming into like in, like crystallizing a little bit with. Uh, with Bethesda and particularly on the RPG stage, um, it could mm. be something. And it's funny because I, I, when I say RPG, it almost sounds like that's niche. But I think RPGs are kind of gigantic, and it, it'll be interesting to see, so. right? Like it'll be interesting to see if that translates into a a good launch pad for everything else. It, in the past, Xbox is kind of where you went for Call of Duty and 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 Halo and all. The, like it was very much a shooter console, yeah. and I think that was they the identity. built themselves. It was the house that Halo built. Totally. Yeah, but that's gone now. And there's so many other there's so many other categories of games now. And they can really they could kind of step back a little bit and go, okay, where do we want to land and, and settle in? And I do think that it's in that Western RPG uh piece, but also multiplayer. There's maybe the there's like a, a two-pronged approach here where you're gonna see service-based games like Sea of Thieves. Uh, where you're going to spend a lifetime playing those for those who play it. And then mm-hmm. you'll uh, spend a different kind of lifetime in the Bethesda games and the RPGs that will take you, you know, 200 plus hours. And we'll see a couple of those come out every single year, apparently. So it's possible that that's where they go. But I do think that they're, they're I don't know, they're almost thinking bigger than that. And I just wonder if that's actually going to work. Um, because, yeah, we as much as we want variety, there's still uh, many of us still want to have 
a particular type of game. A lot of us will like cross our arms towards uh, maybe a roguelike or something like that. Like there's some certain genres that each of us just don't play. So whatever they settle their focus on has to be wide casted enough, but also focused enough that it can actually become a, uh, an identity for them, if that makes sense. I would agree with that. And I think, and this is all talking about a company that I feel had a really strong showing when it comes to especially exclusives at E3. Yeah. Uh, they showed off a ton of really interesting, really cool looking games. I think one of the things that Microsoft needs to do moving forward is they just need to continue to, you know, just kind of drip feed this content to like just keep telling people like, oh, by the way, in case you guys forgot about this exclusive first party title we have going on, because one of the things they did was, yes, they showed off a ton of exclusives, but they undercut everything and even overcut a bunch of it with like Game Pass, Game Pass, Game Pass, Game Pass, Game Pass, Game Pass, just constantly mentioning that. Do you think that dilutes the message of that it's good to be on Xbox? Because I'm I'm of the mind that Game Pass is, you know, like many others, the best deal in gaming. Like, why, if you have an Xbox, why don't you have Game Pass if you don't? It's yeah. Kind of, yeah. It seems like a silly thing. But do you think that that kind of dilutes the message a little bit? I think there's a chance for a lot of people that it does because it, it almost seems like the Xbox is basically just a, a service machine. Like, it's just the Game Pass machine, if yeah. that makes yep. sense. And with Nintendo, I feel that they have really wrapped a lot of their IPs, a lot of their first party games around the console. And, you know, when you think about the the identity of Nintendo, you think about the games themselves and the experiences. It's just amazing that, that, that but they cost you in Canada, it's $80. I mean, like it'll be, it's yeah. a full $60. Like the fact that that hasn't pa- made people pause and go like, maybe I should think about something else because there's another option that is, way less expensive is way more accessible to just do the $15 per month with with game pass like it just that doesn't seem to have tripped anybody up you know in the in the grand scheme of things which is just mind-boggling to me and i do wonder if maybe just switching up the marketing just a tad and saying hey here's our family of games oh yeah and by the way here at the end by the way these are all day one on game pass as opposed to saying game pass game pass game pass game pass game pass and then here's some games that you can enjoy on our service, which is, by the way, named Game Pass. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like, I'm trying to be kind of open minded to this, too, because it like on the surface, I'm like, I, I don't I don't know that I get it. You know, I don't because like you can only get Game Pass on Xbox consoles and, of course, on, on PC as of well. Course, but, yeah. Like that's they, they seem to be just kind of intertwined to me. One thing that I, I think that if if I'm deciding on if I ran Xbox, what I liked, what I saw uh, earlier in this year was it seemed like they were going to roll out a strategy where they were locking down third parties yeah. as day and, day and date launching into Game Pass with Outriders. And MLB The Show was just kind of like the the mic drop moment of the year. Yeah, right. kind of not that I'm expecting them to land Sony exclusives day one into Game Pass or anything like that all the time. But I, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that, like a couple more heavy hitters, especially like alongside some of their own first party, like until they start getting rolling on all these acquisitions where you're getting first party after first party after first party, exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. Like it was such a nice one, two punch with the first party stuff that could be coming out. And then also mm-hmm. games like outriders and games like, um, MLB the show a couple more. Cause now that we're outside of that time where that was a big deal. I don't know that that still like feels as heavy as it did in that moment. Right. So there's a, there's a, there's a impulsivity to it. I think. Um, that I would like to see them lean into a little bit more, especially now that we're in the holiday season. One thing I was actually really surprised at, and 
gosh, I would really like to ask somebody about this on, in Xbox land is why they didn't include a game pass trial with every single, well, series X or series S is one or, or any console. Like at what point, how did they not just start selling consoles with two weeks or a month of game pass with every single damn console where you just like, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like such a miss. And I, I don't know what the, what the, um, what the rationale is there, especially when you see them giving away three months for a dollar and all these other things. Right. It's like, why didn't they almost like, have you said it and accidentally become a lifetime subscriber to game pass, you know? So that, that, that's a big miss for me. That's, that's interesting. I, I feel like Xbox, my, my read on Xbox versus Nintendo is that Xbox is the, the young up and comer. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, mm-hmm. right? But they're, they're still fairly young in the grand scheme of things. They, are, they have this exciting, you know, they're always trying to innovate. Xbox for a long time ha- has been kind of like trying to strike out in their own direction. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like when Don Matrick took the stage and was like, ah, oh, we want you to always be online when you play this thing. Yeah. It was like, hmm, okay, that didn't that, that didn't go over super well. Yeah. But then they experiment with something like Game Pass, and now I think the last reporting was they had like twenty three million mm-hmm. Game yeah. Pass subscribers, and they're they're you know year over year the growth is like ridiculous. And then you look at Nintendo, and they're very much like they're always about innovation too when it comes to like hardware and stuff like that. But they are, I mean, this is a hundred and thirty plus year old company. And they are very rigid and very concerned about their IP. Yeah. And they're very like, this is, you know, this is what we're doing with Mario. This is Zelda. They do some new stuff. I make a show um, on our little network called Keep Nintendo Weird. And they <laughs> they kind of, you know, branch out into that from time to time. We see stuff like WarioWare and whatnot. But there's, they're otherwise very kind of like focused on their identity and this is what Nintendo is supposed to mean. And Xbox seems a little bit more willing to well let's let's figure out what that means together a little bit. Like they don't even have it, it blew my mind and I'm looking forward to Halo Infinite, but it blew my mind that not only is that not making that sort of November sweet spot. Yeah. Like that kind of Black Friday sweet spot, but it's also not launching with like campaign co-op, which is a huge deal for mm-hmm. me. Same. Um yeah, and so I, I just I kind of look at their strategy with it. They don't seem to be as concerned with first parties anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting point because like the 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 actual outcomes are what kind of shape and and um, create people's perceptions and attitudes of it. So yeah, they missed the date. They don't they don't hit with these features. And so yeah, I think that it makes sense for you to kind of come away from that and go. Maybe you just don't care about first parties as much. Um, I think that 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 could be. A takeaway from that one thing that i will say too though is that um forza horizon is a completely underrated uh underappreciated it's it's coming into its own but it is so good it is it's far from niche i know that uh, forza motorsport um maybe people kind of get a little intimidated by and i really encourage people to just try it honestly especially with the right. whole game pass thing it is because i'm not a smart person i'm kind of a simpleton <laughs> i shouldn't be able to understand a, a simulator of anything any 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 kind and forza motorsport is is one of my favorite series and i'm kind of a newcomer to that um, but that's a whole other thing um one of the other kind of aspects that is interesting in xbox land is man we could take this in like tr- a trillion different directions um <laughs> one is the community one i think the community is and they're focused on this trying to um cultivate the community quite mm-hmm. in, in an intense way and very purposeful way um generally i think the community doesn't do as good a job as the other communities in celebrating what is happening on xbox 
right? And I think that's where right. when you do have like we're very lucky to be working closely with Xbox Canada, and I think they're just happy that somebody's making an Xbox podcast. To be honest, because there's you just look at Nintendo and like you know there's there's as many there you know there's trillions of of Nintendo podcasts out there, and how many are are uh, in Xbox land? How many how many people tune into those to those podcasts? It's not even it's not even that's close. An excellent point. So yeah. so what the result of that is when a game lands on Nintendo and it's pretty good, you hear so much about it, and it's just like it reverberates throughout the gaming sort of echo chamber and when a game lands in xbox and it's really good like psychonauts 2 is excellent it's really good ori in the blind forest is one of the best games of its generation and the the will of the wisps just as well um doesn't doesn't really land as much i'm staring at a screen right now of um neo the complete edition came became free on epic games and i remember when that landed on playstation it's like that game is that game is good, and it's it maybe many people might even call it great. But because it was on PlayStation, there were so many games. Even Hellblade is a good example of this. When games land yeah. on other platforms, the community celebrate it so much more, and they support it. And it just it doesn't happen on Xbox, and I think that might be at the core of all of it. To be honest with you, it's like why why isn't Ori why isn't Ori game of the year at uh, at the Game Awards at that point in time, or like wh- why do those games kind of get snubbed? And it's like. I, I don't know that that that's the that's the crappiest part about it all. And so you'll have games that are maybe mediocre to good in, in Nintendo land. But it's like, well, we're just grateful to have games. So like, hooray. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the result of that is actually is you get a nice, positive and supportive uh, ecosystem and community who buy games. So I think that's part of it as well. I wonder if, you know, because we've talked about identity so much, but we've talked about it at the macro level, at the console level. Games themselves have identities, too. And especially when it comes to big first party releases, uh, PlayStation and Nintendo, especially with their first party releases, they treat those individual game releases like events. Yeah. Whereas I think with a lot of different Xbox games, once they come out, they just kind of get absorbed into Game Pass and they don't get treated and they don't get you know, the same love as an individual game would. They just get looked at as if they're another face in the crowd. Yes, they're a fantastic game and they just came out and you should absolutely play them. And why haven't you played Ori yet? Yeah. But, (laughs) you know, I think that one issue may potentially be is you can look at a lot of PlayStation, especially first party PlayStation and Nintendo games as individual entities that have their own identity. Whereas Mm -hmm. you just kind of have to look out into the sea of game pass where maybe even for amazing games, it's hard for them to eke out their own identity because they're just part of a whole rather than their own independent unit. Does that make sense? Do you think that's an issue? I think it does. And I I immediately, as soon as you say like the, the, the release of these games are an event and I'm like, well, where do you think they got that from? Like the Halo releases used to be gigantic and they yeah. kind of set oh, a yeah. stage for that kind of thing. And then they, it's almost like they, they set the bar at Halo, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's gotta sure. be that gigantic of a game to, to uh, be worthy of that sort of launch, that sort of dedication from the studio of all these different things. And it's like that, that I think set themselves up for some failure where they're aiming for perfection every time where that gigantic blockbuster every time. And then, yeah, out from nowhere, Sony comes around and they go, well, here's here's um, Horizon Zero Dawn, here's Ghost of Tsushima, here's Bloodborne, here's however many else. New IP that are amazing out of the gates, and they weren't shy about 
pushing those. Um, it's it's interesting how this conversation kind of it always will have to bring in PlayStation, even though we're trying to stay focused. I think on Nintendo and Xbox. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. PlayStation is right there with them. Where most of the time, I think they did a really good job last gen, especially of pushing the new IP as if it existed forever. And it, as if they were right. so confident that 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 would be a, a marquee title, um, they didn't do it every single time. They they, they missed it with games like um, Until Dawn and a few others. I think maybe even the Order eighteen eighty six might have been a oversell. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah, you know. So it's not exactly like they get it right, but they had so many that they were just playing numbers. It was a numbers game at that point. Where <laughs> more often than not, they actually they did pretty well. So yeah, yeah I think you throw that, enough I, spaghetti at the wall, some of it has to stick, right? Most you know? definitely, yeah. That's that's part of it. So and and with with Xbox, it was kind of the other way around, where there were so few games, and everyone that did come out seemed to be okay. This is the one that has to turn the tide. And I looked at games like Quantum Break, and when like people were kind of maybe disappointed in that, where it's like it, I think only in the in the sphere or the, the through the lens that that was supposed to be, this is the one that's going to turn it around. Like, this is why you buy an Xbox. It's like, that's a heavy, that's a tall order for a game like that. But if you were, if that were mixed in with a bunch of other first party, first party titles or exclusives that just added on top of um, the reasons why you need an Xbox one, it'd be a different story last generation. So yeah, I don't know if I've taken yeah. this off into a completely different direction, but here we no, are. No, no, I, I actually, I, the, feeds into something that I kind of wanted to talk about anyway. And that's um, something that I think that Nintendo could learn from, uh, or sorry, that Xbox could learn from Nintendo. And that is communication. Yeah. Like they have done such a good job with Nintendo directs and with like the, I I know people want directs even more often than we already get them. But I mean, the reality is, is that we get these huge, you know, news drops fairly often. We get them several times a year. Yeah. And, I would love to see Xbox do something like that, where they really roll out the red carpet, champion their games. And I mean, there, there are people that take center stage, like, um, you know, of course, Satoru Iwata and Reggie Fisame and stuff. And they, they kind of put a face to the company a little bit. Um, and sadly, both of those people that are, are not there anymore. But I mean, they're still kind of doing that a little bit now with Doug Bowser, and we'd like to see a little bit more. But um, the point is, is that they are, rolling out communication and really celebrating their games and celebrating their catalog in a way that I would like to see X. I mean, I would love to see Xbox do their own kind of version of a Nintendo direct and have Phil Spencer come out and champion halo. And this is why halo is so awesome. I want to see that more often than just E3, you know? Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think, I think um, now PlayStation and Nintendo don't really do that so much. I think Xbox is actually leading in the, here are people that you get to know, like um, Jason Ronald, the guy with the beard, there's Phil Spencer, there's Sarah Bond. There's people who people like who, who gamers kind of recognize. And that is a strength of theirs right now. Um, but I don't know. Were you guys podcasting in the Wii U days? Was that something like how long you, you've been at no, this for a better part? Of, no. So I, I think I, well, yeah, I was, but not, not Nintendo podcasting. Yeah. So <laughs> the reason I bring it up, not to, not to like, okay, you haven't been podcasting that long. Uh, it's, a, it's an important <laughs> distinction because if you listen back to podcasts in the Wii U days, and then as things kind of switched over into the Switch days, one of the first things I noticed when they started talking about the Switches, um, Nintendo had, instead of like a, um, 
if they had any little little bit of water, they would they'd give it to you to sip. Like, okay, here's here's a little sip. Like now, now you're not so thirsty anymore. And it's like it sure. wasn't enough. It didn't quench my thirst ever. I was always getting just drips at a time. Um, with the Switch, they came out with a giant list of games, a good yep. reason to buy it. And and also like the Switch itself was very innovative. So it, it kind of made up for nobody knew what the hell ARMS was about or one two switch was not so great. But the whole package itself was really, really strong. And right from that moment, they were able to be in much more control about what messages they were delivering and when they could like they could have things in their back pocket. And I believe that that's the general consensus right now is that they literally have games in their back pocket that they're like, yeah. we'll yeah. wait until this is done or until the time is right to release this game and we don't have to do it now. Whereas you see with Xbox, they're like, we will get Halo out the day that it is ready. You know, like it's it's a completely different situation. And Nintendo has continued to message with that strength in mind, this entire generation where they'll go, we will tell you what you need to know when you need to know it and not be desperate to try and get everybody to come on over into Nintendo land because they've kind of already done that. They're playing a position play so strongly and, and PlayStation's kind of catching up to them on that front as well. So for Xbox, they kind of need to catch up on that front so that people are satiated with a bunch of first party games, everything we've talked about, they've got, they have to have enough and then be really strategic with their messaging. If they do like an Xbox direct or, or some sort of copy of that. But right now I think every time that they take the stage, it's a, I don't, it's not quite as desperate as it used to be, but it's almost there, you know, like pay attention to us. Like we're, they almost feel like Sega in that way. Um, back in the day of like there, there's a lot of cool innovations and stuff that are happening. But I'm really looking forward to the day where they can go, we've got some really cool things that we're not even going to tell you about. And it doesn't matter. They can still sell Game Pass. They can still sell consoles and everything without showing their entire hand. And I feel like at this hand, this time, we kind of know everything there is to know with Xbox. And while that's exciting, if, you, if you've if you latched onto something they've told you, you know, like, I'm, I'm pumped for that, then you're good. But if you feel like you know everything, then you're actually not all that excited to like for the next Xbox direct or the next Xbox um, presentation, I can see that. you know, PlayStation had their thing today. And I think people were thinking, I don't know what insomniac is doing. I don't, they surely they won't have anything. And then they come back with a surprise. And I don't know how many right. surprises Xbox has for that, that landmark moment, you know, so they have to get to a situation where they can manage in an inventory of messaging that is more strategic than just it's ready to be out now. So we'll say it now. Yeah. I do think the Xbox has gotten better with messaging. I do think it has gotten better with uh, putting the stuff out as opposed to previous years. Specifically, Nintendo last year had like an eight month stretch where we just like, what are you even doing? Nintendo yeah, and it didn't marketing? matter. It was weird. And it yeah. didn't matter. They still that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like they, they can go silent and sell 10 million units. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. how are you doing that? And part of it is they they get you the, the Nintendo or us, the, the Nintendo community laser focused on one game. And like, that's all you're focused on. We're not going to distract you with like five or six other things that are coming afterwards. It's like Mario Golf. That's what you're focused on. And you're going to buy that because we're not going to, you're not going to know what's coming afterwards. You're not going to want to miss it because you don't know what's coming after that. And then of course, a week after Mario Golf, they'll give us a little bit more. And it's a perfect deployment of their, their back catalog of, of messaging. Like they don't have to just say, here's what the next three years look like. Cause they've already sold all these things. So they can have mm-hmm. 80 million people focused on one game. They all buy it. And then we, it's like, it's like five-year-old soccer. Like wherever the ball's going to go, it's like the whole group kind of just like shuffles around as a group and uh, we go off to the next one. Okay, now the ball's going over there. Okay, let's all go run over there and buy that game. And we're going to do it tomorrow as we talk about this with WarioWare. It's exactly what's oh, going to yeah. happen, you know? 
So you think that Xbox should, instead of giving us 5% of 20 different games, you think they should just give us 3% of 33 different games, and then once those come out, just continue to just kind of do what Nintendo does. is like, hey, we've been working on this. This comes out in three months. Let's start showing you everything you need to know about it. I think that they have some work to get to that point. Like, it's definitely like a, like I said, it's a position play with Nintendo. Like, they are on top, so they are able to do that. What you see from Xbox is definitely out of necessity. Like, they kind of need to give people a a reason to buy into the ecosystem. They need to know that there's a, there is more than one game to buy into this, that there's a, that there's a roadmap. But Nintendo doesn't have to sell the roadmap anymore. They, they've kind of already did that. And now at this point, they can they can drip feed and kind of do it one at a time. And I think that's almost like just a sign of who's in first, you know, <laughs> like mm. who mm-hmm. um, is they, they there's a confidence to that. And like, we don't have to tell you everything. We'll tell you when you need to know. And that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where they need to get to. But I don't think that that would be a good strategy if they rolled it out right now. Because it would I just think- sort of fuel the, the perception that, that Xbox had in the Xbox One generation, which was Xbox has no games. Like they've really had to counter that perception right now. And they've done a really, really good job there. Now I they agree. have to deliver on those games. People have to really let go of that. There, there has to be maybe a couple of years separation between when that was the commonly held perception of Xbox, maybe a year out from now, um, where people just don't really say that or even think it at all. So yeah, a little bit more work to be done on that front. You know, obviously each company has their big like killer apps. Obviously with Nintendo, it's stuff like Smash Brothers. With uh, PlayStation, you've got stuff like God of War. And, you know, Nintendo knows how to drive that hype train. They know how to drive that hype train, especially with their biggest games. And we just got the the gameplay trailer for God of War Ragnarok. And people are going to be focused, laser focused Mm -hmm. on that for a long time. Uh, Xbox does have a couple of games like that. They have the Halo franchise, but I think one of the biggest upcoming games that once they're ready to show gameplay, I think they basically just need to center all of their marketing around that. And what I'm talking about is, of course, Elder Scrolls 6. Yeah. I think once they're able to start really showing off Elder Scrolls 6, I think that they should just, they should start building the foundation of their marketing and their identity on top of that. And, and doing a lot of what you're talking about is like, yes, we've got a bunch of other stuff going on, but we know you're really here for elder scrolls. And that gives them some time to actually work on these other projects and, you know, decide how they want to market those or decide how they even want to, uh, you know, produce those. But I do think that, especially when it comes to Bethesda, uh, you know, if you're going to spend all that money to buy Bethesda, I just want to make sure that Microsoft is as much as we would love to see, as much as we still love seeing all these Bethesda and its software games on the Nintendo Switch, like yeah. you know, Doom, Quake I do th- and whatnot. Yeah, yeah I, I do think that it might be a good idea from the Xbox and from the Microsoft perspective if they started to hold these companies they own a little bit tighter. Yeah, I think that a lot of them also still hold some secrets. There are, you know, we know what Bethesda has been up to because they told us way before they ever got bought out. Um, But I do think that um, studios like Double Fine could surprise us. They absolutely surprised me with Double uh, with um, with Psychonauts. I definitely did not expect that level of quality and polish from that team and um, could see where they could really go from there. Compulsion Games is another one that could really surprise me as well. So there's a few in there that maybe I don't know everything. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I think you're onto something there for sure. And they also like they they bought Obsidian. They've got that game of Vowed 
you know, oh, yeah. it does seem like they're kind of, they're, they're kind of playing, they, you know, they, they've already talked about, they've got a new fable and a new perfect dark and mm-hmm. stuff like that in the works. So I think what you said earlier, Sean, I think is right there. We're, we're starting to see them, you know, drive in that direction, so to speak. Yeah, I think Hellblade <laughs> 2 is another example of this. I think it'll be yeah, a bit of a marquee yeah. title. Like you're going to start to see, and um, Starfield is actually closer than the next uh, Elder Scrolls game. Right? So yeah, yeah the, the next kind of, it's almost like Halo was meant to to kick off the Series X. And in many ways, maybe it will actually do that just this year. You know, that it'll actually kick yeah. off year two and and Good get point. a sense of this is actually what where we should be. There's a lot of conversations that happened over the last year of, did the, did the Series X and PlayStation 5 need to come out this year? And I would say that it's no different than any other new console. You got pretty much the same first year out of Xbox and PlayStation as you get from any other generation. Those who wanted to buy it, I probably were happy. I don't know that there's a lot of people who were disappointed in their purchase this year. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but I've been playing a lot of my Series X and I've, I, I fired up my my One X one time and went, I can't go back to this. And that used to be the most powerful console on the planet. So it's really interesting how quickly that 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 changes. But the experience yeah. overall is it, it's it's just funny. It's it's it it's different. It feels different, even though the games carry over. And that's been a really tricky win for uh, for Xbox to realize this this generation as well, where it's like kind of what I was talking about before. It's so much easier to be in Xbox land, and somehow that doesn't that hasn't landed. Like it's not celebrated that um the game you just your games carry over that smart delivery is a thing and is actually amazing it's a it's it's as um consumer friendly in an opposite way that uh, all the anti-consumer stuff that was happening at the beginning of the xbox one generation it like more than makes up for all of that stuff and it just didn't didn't re- i don't think it resulted in as big a win as i think it deserves smart delivery is awesome it makes it so easy i don't have to think how many times did i hear about people launching a playstation 4 game by accident on their ps5 and it's like how is that how is that even a thing i just (laughs) don't understand it so yeah lots of wins lots of consumer friendly things that make it better for the gamer and uh, with a series x and they're just not games you know (laughs) they're just not a they're not an exclusive game so it's just amazing that the one thing that actually makes it difficult to get into gaming being exclusives the thing that you have to really go out of your way and know what you're doing to to buy and play that game in the right place is actually the thing that is driving the success for playstation and for nintendo while xbox went in the totally other direction made it easy uh blurred the lines between generations and I mean, I don't want to say that it didn't work. Maybe it's working better than we really know, but they're still, they're not Nintendo and they're not PlayStation. So they still, the end result is they just still have work to do on that front. Yeah, well, something that I think that Nintendo could definitely learn a few lessons in, and I don't know if a lot of people really find this super important, but when it comes to the UI, just the, mm. the menus and the consoles and just the, the the setup of the console itself, especially from a TV menu standpoint, like we've been waiting on something aside from just black or white and just five <laughs> big boxes on our screens for, you know, four and a half Themes, years. Folders. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I know a, a lot of people may not think that that's a, a big thing, but the accessibility and the eye catching quality, the aesthetics of something like that can also play a large part, especially when you're looking at these consoles, the demo versions in stores. So when it comes to the, I, I don't own an Xbox Series X, so I can't really speak to the UI or how attractive that looks, that menu looks to the eye. But it, that, that's certainly a lesson that I think Nintendo could learn because I do remember, I have a lot of very fond memories of a few of the different Xbox 360 layouts of which they went through about 30 
it feels like in yeah. that yeah. generation. But yeah. there were some really, really cool menus that really popped, that really brought that console to life. And with some of these newer consoles, I just don't feel like that's the case. It feels like, it almost feels like these machines themselves are just that. They are machines. They're not meant to evoke anything. They're mm. just there to serve a robotic purpose. And I think that maybe, again, this is definitely a lesson that mostly Nintendo could learn, but you can add some personality to the machine itself through the menu system, through the UI. And again, I don't know what, in terms of the UI, in terms of the menu on the Xbox Series X, do you think that they do an effective job of that, Sean? I think it's taken them all the way up until now to kind of get it right. So it's a, it's a bit of a dangerous game. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, you know, and it probably takes up a lot of resources to get the UI experience that you get on Series X because it has like it's got a lot of got a lot of power and, and it can afford to dedicate a little bit more resources to a little bit more of a flashy, customizable um, UI than than the Switch. The one thing that I would say on this, though, is like to relate it to Nintendo is what is the trade off? So let's say you do get a little bit more of a dynamic um menu or when you fire it up like it has uh, you know themes and and a little bit more of a pizzazz to it more personality does that mean that you i I would say that my assumption that they the reason they haven't done that yet is because it would take up resources which means that you know the games don't run as fast and they they're kind of desperate for any any memory or power that they can get at this point right Um, right. the, the system itself is is successful in this moment because of things like it's very snappy you fire that thing up and you don't really wait the the load times are still there and that's where playstation 5 and xbox has surpassed it but in terms of just like picking that thing up and it feels like a phone the way that you pick up your phone you've ever like i I was just thinking about this today when i open up like an app on my computer like i'm sitting there and i'm waiting when i'm like you know firing up a game like i'll wait when i fire up a game on my switch or when i just like start it up it's on dude you're in there and that's been the case since 2017 so i feel like that's all related to like how much overhead they they or how little overhead they have for things like a ui and also just the focus is on the games um, I used to shout from the rooftops about why isn't there like Netflix on this thing? Why isn't there this out or the other? And what I've realized is the result of it is people buy games. They buy a lot of games. The um, the eShop on the thing, whether, whether or not I think it looks good or not, seems to result in it selling games. So if I ran Nintendo, I wouldn't change a thing, to be honest with you. And I know that a lot of people don't like to hear that because it doesn't it doesn't look visually appealing or anything. But if I'm just looking at, if I'm just a numbers person, I'm not changing anything about it because it is totally, totally working. Um, and just again, looking over at PlayStation, moving from the PS4, which I think mm-hmm. had an excellent UI to hearing, I, I don't have a PS5, but just hearing people go like, why do they change this? Why do they change this? Changing anything with a UI is very, it's very risky. People, yeah. it, it becomes a muscle memory. So maybe you're just talking about a presentation kind of thing, but um, which which maybe I could be I could be sold on. It could be more than just a light and dark mode that would be that would be great but i would say there probably should be a little bit more caution um when talking about major changes major adjustments to the overall user experience on the switch yeah there's definitely a there's something of a a lack of personality i think that that you're kind of driving out a little bit there eric Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this on the show before where you even go back to 3ds and wii u and like the wii u's like home menu or whatever had all the like me's on oh, it yeah. 
you know, you, you got your 3DS where you can put your badges on there and you've got the themes and stuff. But yeah, I also agree with you, Sean. If it means that I have to sacrifice the ease and the snappiness and everything, then yeah, I would rather have it that way too. Although battery life would, would be nice. Yeah. 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 That's fair. Absolutely. You know, I think this is just a random, just off the wall suggestion, but this is just a thought that I had. The 3DS, one of the cool things about that was the lobby of free games that it had as part of the menu, as part of the UI. And that was something that I was always really attracted to every time I booted it up. Even though I did it to play a specific game, I kind of always found myself in that lobby playing Find Me or the the puzzle game or or one of those. Street Pass Uh, stuff. yeah. Yeah, all the Street Pass stuff. And, you know, I... Do we think something like that could work on a console where you have that, you know, obviously you could just boot the console up and go directly into the game. But if you had the option to maybe do some daily activity or do some daily uh, like little Mm -hmm. micro game or something, if you had that as part of your experience with this console, do we think that could potentially help? Or do you think that would really only work in a handheld aspect? I think for the Switch, it would still work. I think that it kind of is exactly that. It's both. It's a hybrid. It's a handheld and a, and a console. I, I miss that tremendously. I miss the community building of it. I, I remember just mm-hmm. like, it, it always had me turning it on. And even like that, anybody who had it, you remember the light, you know, that, that glow the and you're like, oh, I got a street pass. I got to go like fire yep, that yep. thing up. Like that was a that was a dopamine kind of hit that you would be looking forward to that I'm I'm a little surprised that it's not on the Switch. Maybe it's, the hybrid model it maybe maybe they found that it, it did distract people from pay, from playing paying games you know like maybe the the trade-off or that the the reward really wasn't there for nintendo the payoff wasn't there that uh sure it kept them engaged kept them on that on that console but did it have them buying games i i don't know they easily could have monetized that better or more uh with the street pass games i i think uh i'd love to see them do that but again it's just crazy like everything they're doing right now just works and and Animal Crossing fans are experiencing this. Um, Mario Kart fans are experiencing this. And if you want something more, <laughs> like stop buying it. You know what I mean? Like force them to yeah. to iterate and to innovate. It's stop buying it. The, the console is selling like crazy. Animal mm-hmm. Crossing is selling like crazy. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is selling like crazy. You're never going to get what's next. There's no, there's absolutely no reason to. They can just sit back and like print the money. So I think that has a lot to do with if anybody's frustrated with uh, some stagnant, um, just really things not going anywhere in Nintendo land. It's like, just look at the sales and you can't blame them. Not even a little bit. Yeah. Four-year-old games are still selling 250,000 copies a month. Honestly. So yeah. Yeah. So you can't really be mad at them. (laughs) You can't. That's fair enough. That's a great point. Great point. Guys, uh, it's, it's been a great conversation. We don't want to keep you here all night, Sean. However... Uh, we did. I mean, the, the all in community was so excited to hear that you were coming on the show. We did have a few, uh, community comments and questions that I wanted to throw your way, Sean, uh, just, just before we wrap up. I love it. Um, I'll be here all night. Like I will overstay my welcome. Like nobody's business. You guys, (laughs) kids are in bed. I've got another Diet Coke in the fridge, so I'm here, man. I'm good. Nice. Nice. I respect that. There we go. We, uh, yeah, I mean, we had a bunch of people who were, who were just kind of like throwing out some Sean Capri love, including a oh, mutual you know, you friend of the so show, sweet. Dan from RetroLogic, uh, who, who, you know, we all love here, Definitely. but, um, let's go, uh, Eric Plunk from the discord, uh, had something to throw out here, Sean. He says, quote, I'd love to see some IP swapping from the two. Ooh. What Nintendo franchise would you like to see Xbox tackle and what Xbox franchise should Nintendo go for? 
Do you mean tackle or like switch or like have something go from Nintendo over onto an Xbox land? Or do you want like a, a studio from Xbox do or create um, a Nintendo game? Yeah, I think what he means is if Nintendo and Microsoft were somehow going to say, hey, let's try, you know, bending exclusivity a little bit. Mm. Man, I think that's I, I'm what he's talking to think about. about. Eric Plunk, I don't know if you guys know this, but Eric Plunk is an excellent Splatoon player. Like he is yes. just like, it's not even fair. Like if you're on Eric Plunk's <laughs> game, it's just like you just, just yeah. win. The other team just forfeits. Um, that dude has like a thousand plus hours in Splatoon <laughs> 2. It's mad. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. It's a great uh, game. It is a really good game. It's one that, man, it, but it's it's well served, I think, at this point. You're getting a, a third one. I don't know that there's really anything that I would want to do with that one. It's almost like I think about what games are kind of in the back catalog. They haven't really been touched for a while. And it's like, okay, well, if Nintendo's not going to do anything with them, maybe Xbox should do something with them. You know what I mean? Mm. It's kind of mm-hmm. how, I, how I'm leaning on this question, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So, so what, what would be, you know, what do you think with with Nintendo going for Xbox and Xbox going for Nintendo? Let's see. Let's see. I think, um, man, I want to see like an F zero come back. Oh, you know what I'm going to go for actually is, uh, is star Fox. I would, I would like to give star Fox over to Xbox and I might have to think about who I actually want to have do that. But I, there's so much opportunity with that. Um, like there's such a, also there's, there's such a cheap answer to this to say, like, just give something to rare. You know, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. really allowed. <laughs> like just let yeah. them. Hey, I've often talked about how rare should have just like a a second team or a third team, even just a just to almost like Bluepoint does with with PlayStation. They're just in charge of remastering and doing an excellent job right. of remastering old games. Like there should be a subsidiary of of rare doing that for uh, for some of those old, like like um, uh, Kazooie. Goodness gracious. Banjo-Kazooie, oh, holy crap. Yeah, Sean, yeah, Sean it, you just said the magic words. You just activated my trap card. Yeah, would it be a, a viable <laughs> answer to Eric Plunk's question to say, give Nintendo Banjo-Kazooie from Microsoft? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that a viable answer? Yeah, actually, yeah, I think that's probably the best case scenario, honestly. Yeah, yeah, or Perfect Dark. <laughs> give a couple back. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting that, kind that, of thing. That may be a bit of a cop-out, but I think that's, I think that's a good call, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it i love it well we got another um oh, did you have an answer for that eric well i was just gonna say just thinking about rare i was like oh, i wonder i was i wonder if sea of thieves could run on the switch oh totally oh yeah it's that yeah we we had that conversation because we we did a top five one week like i don't know last year or something where it was the top five xbox games we would like to see on switch yeah we kind of finished that trilogy of lists this week <laughs> yeah yeah and sea of thieves was one of mine uh because sea of thieves could run on a potato man mm-hmm. like it sea of thieves is so like not yeah absolutely so it could totally run on switch and it's so multiplayer focused yeah i i think that would make so much sense that that would be great um so we have this one from solo something solo something actually has a couple of questions and uh <laughs> let's the, the first one we have here and and I think the audience kind of knows our answers to this, Eric. Um, but we can chime in maybe if if we uh, if we feel like it. But Sean, what Nintendo game, and not necessarily the Switch version, is your comfort food as far as Ooh. Nintendo games? Man, that's a good question. I feel like I should have it here. Um, right now, my comfort food is Hades, which is available on Switch and on, mm. on, yeah. on Xbox. Um, we love Hades. Yeah, I'm just kind of like looking at my collection right now. You know what I'm gonna say is. And it actually goes back to my Wii days is um, 3D World. 
I think 3D World is one of my favorite oh, sure. 3D, just 3D Mario games, if you can really count it as that. Um, I will play it yeah. over and over and over again. Um, yeah, definitely 3D World is just so, so good, dude. You want to shout out a comfort food game, Eric? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I, uh, you know, there's always a, a few on my Nintendo Switch. But uh, I love Pokemon. I love Animal Crossing. I just, I mean, I'm so I'm enamored with most of Nintendo's catalog because these these IPs, these franchises have been around for so long. I just get the nostalgic yep. dopamine hit every time I turn one on. I just get transported back to when I was eight, nine, ten years old, and I'm like, oh, I, I do love video games. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's so true. I for me, it's Zelda. You know, you yeah. Oh, yeah. folks who listen to this show know how much I love Zelda. That, that series has been with me my entire life. That was my first video game. And I, I yeah, Zelda is my is my happy place. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, what? I've just fired up my switch. I got to give a shout out to Tetris 99. That's been for this generation. Oh, sure. Like Tetris 99 nice. is my go to um, and Shovel Knight as well. That comes back from the Wii U as well. But Shovel Knight, yeah. I'll fire up. And yeah, Tetris 99 is like, oh shut off my brain somehow, but it's like turn off your brain, but totally concentrate all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get to the zone. Yeah. Shovel Knight is a treasure trove of fun. Oh, good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry for that folks. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> we got a last question here from solo something. Sean, do you feel the OLED model switch fits nicely into finding its lane all these driving references. I don't even know if, if he meant yeah. that, but I love it. Uh, finding its lane within the current gaming environment of providing an upgrade. Uh, I don't know if that's even what they're going for. I think the answer is no. And I don't think that it matters in, in for Nintendo. I think mm-hmm. people will still buy it. Um, I, I actually, one of the things that I observed when realizing that this was the quote unquote upgrade that we were getting was probably fits in best for Nintendo's, um, architecture of their of the switch itself i don't know if nintendo was prepared for a like half step or even another step in terms of having all the games work we're seeing what happens with playstation when they go from a ps4 to ps5 like you really mm-hmm. have to think about that with, with nintendo like they're they're even further yeah. behind on back and path than playstation is so yeah if they were to change up architecture or horsepower or specs of, of a switch in really any way it could be, it could be catastrophic for the the experience. It could create like this divide, and I think that we just because of Xbox, we've kind of take it for granted that well, there should be a, a half step and it should be easy. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily the case, and that could be why we haven't seen it just yet. In addition to my earlier point, which is it sound like crazy, so they don't have to. Um, they don't need it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think that it does. Uh, this is another chance for me to kind of repeat what I've said before, which is that um, I play my my Switch Lite handheld i play my switch my regular switch uh docked all the time i don't Mm -hmm. use my regular switch in handheld mode so this was a miss for me personally because i would have much preferred the oled screen to be on the switch light um than this version and they even could have got me on a price point on that one as well they could have had a a smaller or less expensive console for me to to buy into their upgrade and i would have 100 bought into that but the numbers are showing us that the switch light is not selling as as um as amazingly as I might have anticipated when they first announced it. That's such an interesting point. I for me it was the uh the opposite because I feel like I play I probably play primarily docked with my Switch, but I, I feel like it's probably 60-40, like 60 dock 40 handheld. And for for me, I saw this thing and I was like, oh well, this is great because whenever I'm, you know, going over to my parents' house or or whatever, mm-hmm. or if I'm, you know, out and about and I and I have my switch with me and I I do some of my gaming that way on commutes or whatever. But do you have a light? Um, do you like you only have a switch? No. 
Yeah, no, so I, think that's I only the difference. have a regular Switch. I think that's the difference. So the, the fact that there's not as many Switch lights out there in the wild means that more people are like you than are like me. Right. Where like if I'm playing handheld, I have a light for that. I don't want it like I have a much more comfortable, a lighter, more portable option for my Switch, which is the light. So my Switch might as well just be hardwired to the to the TV. It might as well be a console. Mm-hmm. But for you, it's like way, way different, right? A 60-40 split yes. makes total sense. And it, yeah, it, it will be, I'm actually kind of jealous on that front, you know, because you're going to be able to experience that screen. And uh, I just, it doesn't make sense for me to buy it. Right. Yeah. It's, do you, do you find that experience? Cause that, that's been something that I, uh, that I've always been a little bit confused or maybe even scared to, to get, cause I would love to have a switch light yeah. and, and do that kind of things. I've actually, I've had a couple of hands-on experiences with switch light and I actually love how light it is mm-hmm. and how easy it is to kind of carry around and stuff and the form factor of it. It just feels nice. And it's all, it's solid, not having the Joy-Con and whatever. Yeah. But um, I, I just, I, I'm always like so worried about the complications of having my profile on two switches and whatnot mm. and how that all works. So I was, I was worried away. about that as well. And I am, I am one to get really hung up on that kind of stuff. And it's not been, it's not, it's been as bad for me, um, but they're, you know, I had a lot to say about Animal Crossing when it came out earlier this year. And it, you know, some <laughs> games are really complicated to have on two different consoles. But for, for the most part, I've been I've been pretty good. And in some cases, I'll just dedicate. OK, well, like Monster Hunter Stories 2 is a good example where like that is I'm only playing that on my Switch Lite for better or for worse. That's just where I've decided to play it. So that kind of happens with me as well. I don't go back and forth as much because Nintendo doesn't make that as easy to do. Whereas I mm-hmm. have a Series S and a Series X. The Series S I use to stream and the Series X I play on my TV out in the other room and I go back and forth between those like and I don't even think about it. Like it literally just picks it up in the same point in the game, which is which is so crazy. Uh, but yeah, no, um, I guess I've kind of just adjusted with the two consoles and it's, it hasn't been too bad, uh, even though, yeah, they don't really handle cloud saves as well. They don't really handle account management as well. It's always it's always a little bit more complicated to my earlier points uh, on Nintendo. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, we we really appreciate you bringing that perspective because I mean we're obviously we're all in. We're all about Nintendo, so it's really nice to have somebody who kind of uh, is so familiar with the Xbox landscape to come and weigh in on uh, some of these topics. So. I love it, man. Yeah, it seems like Nintendo and Xbox are my they're my home bases. I, I I stop by PlayStation every once in a while, but it's always been like Nintendo. Like so many of us, it's that's where I, that's where I first started gaming was on Nintendo. Um, actually my first console was a dreamcast so I, I do feel like there's a connection with with sega and xbox uh to some degree oh yeah um totally yeah yeah so it's it's interesting it's just that that uh they're, they're coming from behind you know they're the they're the dark horse in the gaming industry right now you kind of I, I don't know why I, I tend to uh gravitate towards that side of it as well well i i wonder if we can all agree on the fact that the biggest lesson that i think nintendo can learn from microsoft is don't let hardware malfunction issues linger for years on end. Xbox yeah. with its <laughs> yeah. red ring of death is looking and staring down Nintendo with its Joy-Con, Joy-Con drift, drift saying, why <laughs> haven't you fixed this yet? Learn from us, Nintendo. Yeah. And they had such a great way. Like, you know, they, it was, it was a devastating sort of perception and a reality for, for 360, but they had such a great way to just deal with it. You know, there was almost no questions asked. It's like, oh, you got your red rings. Like, it's almost like a milestone. It's like, oh, it happened to you too. It was a, a rite of passage. <laughs> Badge of honor. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. It, it should I've be had the same. Three red rings. 
and, and the, yeah. the tough thing is, yeah, and, and look what it did. It, there's a lot of people who just continued to buy um, 360s back in the day, even though they knew that that was a possibility. They had the confidence that it would be taken care of, no problem. I would be, I, like, anybody who has seen me stream or any of my videos and stuff has seen, like, what's behind me. And I spend my money in stupid, stupid ways when it comes to video games at times. I've collected many 3DSs in the past, and I was primed and like, my Amiibo collection is all here. I was primed and ready to just go, I want all the colors of Joy-Cons. And then it turns out that they're kind of garbage. And that just yep. has halted me in my tracks. Like I'm not I'm not collecting Joy-Cons like I thought I would. I would actually really like to collect a bunch of pro controllers, but they don't even offer those. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of like lessons that they could learn. Ones, yeah. yeah, I mean, as we're <laughs> wrapping up, maybe like they, they Nintendo should learn from the online infrastructure and the experience. Um, a lot of the services, what they could do with Nintendo Switch online could be really impacted and, and impre- improved if they took a couple lessons from how uh, Xbox practices their services, even with games with gold when it was good. Um, yeah, there's there's tons of stuff. The controllers, the custom controllers you can do with Xbox. I don't know if you guys have ever had a chance oh, to yeah. look at the design labs. It is excellent. I would love to do that with um, with Nintendo or even for them to have a couple other options. The Splatoon controller is a good example of that where they're just really, mm-hmm. really good design. So give me more ways to spend money on the quality <laughs> accessories that Nintendo has. Um, that would be that'd be kind of the things that I would like to do. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, Sean, thanks so much again. Uh, hey, go ahead as wrapping up here, if you would, point folks in your direction. How can they kind of follow you, support you, listen to all of your awesome shows? Oh, thanks, man. Well, look, man, I'm just so glad you guys reached out. It's been, and you make, you do a really good job of making somebody feel special and welcome. So thank you for that and the community <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, very special. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Sean Capri. It's Sean like Connery, Capri like the pants. And you can find pretty <laughs> yes. much everything that we do over he on. Said the thing. <laughs> he said yeah, the he thing. Said <laughs> Man, I, <laughs> I was, it was just, it was such a temporary thing. I had it written down on an old like Google Doc when I first started with the Gamer Cast. <laughs> and somebody else said it back to me. It was actually Bobby, Bobby Paulson, Nintendo Guru, said it back to me. I'm like, yes. oh, maybe this is a thing. So. Just funny, the the, the temporary things that become per, uh, permanent. Yeah, <laughs> all the love to Bobby. Love Bobby. Yes, Miss him every yes. single day, man. Um, yeah. yeah, you can find uh, all of our content as well on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Yumi Capri is probably the other best thing that I will plug here. Awesome. You guys will, of course, find links to everything in the episode description. Go support Sean and everything he's doing. Just uh, just great to finally have you on the show. Finally, uh Finally, again, I've been wanting to get you on here for so long. It's like, finally, we got you on here. We talk about Xbox and Nintendo. It's been an absolute blast. And so. now it's over and I'll just be have to come back next week. You guys are stuck with me. Like, now I know where <laughs> you it. do this. Now I know where you live. Like, that's it. This is, this is too easy to hack into. It's like Game Champ. Get out of my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, let's roll out the red carpet one last time for you, my friend, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sean Capri. Yay! <laughs> thanks so much bud thanks guys man what a great conversation with with sean yeah. um i mean that was that was so great to get that xbox perspective and to really round out the crossplay episode the unity episode uh to to really kind of get that xbox perspective and talk about these two companies it's a really a rare treat we don't normally get to talk about the other side of the fence too much here on the show so that was just a just a total treat to talk with him but um yeah, great guy. Definitely make sure to check out the Xbox Drive and check out everything that Sean's doing. Uh, show him a ton of love. And if you haven't already, you know, show us some love, please. Do please reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter 
at All In Podcast. And also join the conversation we have over on Discord. Sean just joined us over there, so we're probably going to be having a lot more fun with him over the coming weeks and oh, yeah. months. And do please give a like and subscribe to All In, a Nintendo podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, be it Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Also, make sure to check out Keep Nintendo Weird and Gamer Glossary as part of our YouTube channel. Once again, and as always, everybody, we just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for joining us each and every Saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. Oh, all right, dude. Well, it's been a great episode, but look. Yeah, it has. You still have that receipt, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it right here. All right. All right. Good. I mean, it's, we really, we need to get these servers together, return them, get our money back. We, we honestly, dude, we, we need to get this taken care of and do, you know what you need to do? Just like the game says, you need to get it together so that we can play more WarioWare this weekend ahead of our review next week. Did you really just scold me with a pun? Is that what happened right now? <laughs> Had to fine, do it. Fine, fine. I'll get the servers together. You're going to have to help me, though. These things are really heavy. We're going to have to take these back together. So, guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and take care of that. We will see you next week and for a review of WarioWare. Get it together. But until then, I have been Eric, the Ghost of Sparta. And I've been Halo, the Master Seth Collection. We'll see you guys next week. We love you very much. Bye. All right, Seth, you might want to get your back brace for this. Dude, how'd you even get these things in here by yourself in the first place?